Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare.
folks, Black Star Network is here. I'm real um, revolutionary right now. <laughs> Support this man, Black Media. He makes sure that our stories are told. Uh, thank you for being the voice of Black America, Roland. Hey, I love y'all. All momentum we have now, we have to keep this going. The video looks phenomenal. See, this difference between Black Star Network and Black-owned media and something like CNN. You can't be Black-owned media and be scared. It's time to be smart. Bring your eyeballs home. You dig? Today is Monday, July 11th, 2022. Coming up on Roland Martin Non-Filter, streaming live on the Black Star Network. It has been nearly 70 years since Emmett Till was lynched. Folks still want justice in that case. Protesters are looking for Carolyn Bryant. They want a warrant executed for her arrest, even though she is in her 80s. We'll talk with a member of the New Black Panther Party and also a family member of the Emmett Till family with regards to the uncovering of the evidence that showed that an arrest warrant was indeed issued for her years ago. Uh, also uh, on uh, today's show, President Joe Biden signs a major gun bill, but a family member of someone killed uh, in Parkland shouted to him during his speech that he wants more, more from the president and Congress. We'll show you exactly uh, what took place today. The battle continues uh, when it comes to the issue of abortion and state legislatures will show you a vigorous debate that took place in one of uh, the nation's states. Also, last night I was in L.A. for the 80th birthday celebration of the original Shaft, the cool man himself, Richard Roundtree. We'll show you uh, what took place. You also can check it out on the Black Star Network app because we live stream the whole event. We'll also talk about, uh, again, uh, more of what happened in Essence. We got some great, great stuff uh, to show you uh, from um, uh, from Essence, uh, some additional interviews, some fantastic stuff, The Proud Family, new animated show, some great interviews with the uh, director and the creator, uh, and, some, and some other great content. You don't want to miss that, folks, uh, right here on Roland Martin Unfiltered. It is time to bring the funk on the Black Star Network. Let's go. He's got it, whatever the miss, he's on it, whatever it is, he's got the scoop, the fact, the fine, and when it breaks, he's right on time, and it's rolling, best believe he's knowing, putting it down from sports to news to politics, with entertainment just for kicks, he's rolling, All right, folks, it was a huge, huge story when it was revealed that uh, investigators combing through boxes in the basement of a Mississippi 
uh, evidence room discovered an arrest warrant for Carolyn Bryant Bonham. That is, that is the white woman who testified uh, and was the one who said that Emmett Till whistled at her or made a remark to her. It was her testimony that led to his conviction, excuse me, that led to the acquittal of her husband and others in the death of Emmett Till. Now, there's no statute of limitations, uh, uh, you know, for this. She committed perjury, folks. Uh, now, uh, this warrant was discovered, again, by people who have been very much involved uh, in trying to seek justice uh, in this particular case. Now, look, Emmett Till was 14 years old when he was lynched uh, in Mississippi. Uh, and for supposedly whistling uh, at her in a grocery store on August 24th, 1955. Now, Carolyn Bryant is in her 80s. She can still be arrested for that. So the question is, why aren't prosecutors actually going after her? Well, this weekend, there were a group of, actually, uh, last week, there were a group of protesters who literally went door to door in Raleigh, North Carolina, looking for uh, Carolyn Bryant. Uh, even went to a, a nursing home. We went to a senior living center searching for Carolyn Bryant Dunham. And so we want to talk about uh, this with John C. Barnett. Uh, he's a national civil rights activist and also uh, Deborah Watts, who is the cousin of Emmett Till and co-founder of the Emmett Till Legacy Foundation. I want to start with you first, John. This going to North Carolina, searching for her. Uh, you don't have the information in terms of where she actually lives. And so... Um, it was knocking on doors, going to a senior living center. How did y'all arrive at that location? What happened? Well, uh, first of all, and thank you um, for allowing us to be on your show, and I love your show. I watch it all the time. Appreciate um, it. We, uh, we basically went, we, we, we Googled, you know, you can find anybody's address on Google now, but we Googled the last two known addresses for Miss Carolyn Dunham, and we found the 8800 Stockbridge Drive, um, which, is the, which is an apartment complex. We went there first, and then the second location was the actual rest home that uh, you may have seen some of the uh, news stories uh, where we were at. And the first one, no one answered the door. Uh, myself and my big brother, uh, Dr. Malik Zulu-Shabazz, we went to the back door. Uh, there were some shoes there, like someone was there, obviously living there, but no one answered the door. So we, we were there for like maybe 20, 30 minutes, and then we departed there, and the convoy, uh, uh, New Black Panther Party, all of our friends, my members, my organization, we all went to the rest home, which is 10 minutes away. When we got there, uh, the individuals that were there on the floor, we went very, was about 60 of us, maybe more, and we just asked, have y'all ever heard of Carolyn Dunham? Some people said they uh, heard that she was there. One person said she was there. Then the rest of them was just dumbfounded, like, we don't even know Miss Carolyn, neither do we know Emmett Till. So uh, we just proceeded to go to the sixth floor. That's the address that we had on Google. And uh, knocked on the door. I think a, a Hispanic man opened the door. We asked him how long he'd been there. He said he'd been there a year. And then now we're at the point where we're just still looking for her. We did get information uh, from a local officer that did say she is in Raleigh. We did inform us of that. Uh, I won't say that officer's name, but they did say that she was in Raleigh. So I don't know if they're moving around or whatever the case may be. Um, but all of us know, you know, she can run, but she can't hide. Oh, uh, you have your critics. Uh, folks say, this is, some have suggested, uh, your critics, this is a vigilante mob uh, searching for her, that you're not law enforcement. Uh, allow law, law enforcement to do their job if they choose to execute this search warrant. Your response? My response would be is that uh, if you compare our situation to what they did at the Capitol, uh, it's totally different last year. We went in very peaceful. 
Nobody was hurt. Nobody. We actually exercised our First Amendment. Uh, we have the right to assemble outside where we stage our press conference. No one was arrested. No one was assaulted. Uh, and it was very, very peaceful, uh, unlike what maybe people may have seen. But it was the total opposite of what we've seen at the Capitol last year, D.C. Uh, Deborah, I'll, I'll go to you. Uh, does the family of Emmett Till, um, do y'all want to see Carolyn Bryant brought to justice uh, for her testimony um, in that trial and, of course, her initial statements that we now know not to be true? Um, first of all, thank you to uh, Roland for having me on, and I appreciate this opportunity. Our family, starting with Mamie Till Mobley, fought for 47 years to bring justice. And Carolyn Bryant did whistle. I want everybody to know she did whistle. There are so many rumors out there, and the witnesses that were with Emmett have stated that numerous times. So Carolyn whistled. What Carolyn did, though, also, which is what this warrant was about, she was involved as an accomplice to the kidnapping of Emmett Lewis Till and to the eventual uh, lynching of him. So, yes, we would like, and we've stated this very clearly, um, and there weren't researchers there or investigators. It was me, my daughter, Terry, our family advocate, Kali Rashid, Keith Beauchamp, who's a filmmaker, along with Melissa Ernest, which is one of our Emmett Till Legacy Foundation ambassadors. This has been part of our campaign that we established in 2020. And this was all a part of something that we felt needed to be determined and to be found. Uh, we had heard all along that there was a warrant for Carolyn Bryant's arrest, but it was never served. And nor did the investigators or anyone, the FBI, and others never looked at LaFleur County Courthouse, which is where the kidnapping charges were and which is where Roy Bryant and J.W. Milam had been. Uh, their warrant was, it was warrant for their arrest, and they were held there as well. So LaFleur County was never a place where any of our investigation had taken place. It was all Tallahatchie County. So our family, uh, along with our foundation and our ambassadors, knew that that was something we needed to do. And this was established months ago. And we knew we needed, we had a duty and a responsibility. And what we want is that warrant executed. We want the law enforcement to do their job and to execute that warrant and make sure that Carolyn Bryant Donham receives the warrant. And we also are asking for the Department of Justice to oversee this along with D.A. Richardson, who is the D.A. in that 4th District, to impanel a grand jury. So hopefully the jury will come up with a conviction. Um, and so Carolyn Bryant, as we know, is an accomplice. She's culpable in the kidnapping first and the murder and lynching of Emmett Lewis Till. That is what we want. We've made this very, very clear. We are looking for law enforcement to do their job. Now, have they done their job uh, 67 years ago? No, the warrant was never served to Carolyn Bryant. So that's what we're asking for. We are not searching for Carolyn Bryant ourselves, nor are we expecting others to do that. They, you know, others have their First Amendment rights to, to, to you know, freedom of speech and others, but we want the law to work 
the way it should. And uh, that's why we've worked really hard to make sure that we secured the, the warrant, the file, the affidavit, and all of that information uh, there in the Floor County uh, Courthouse. So it's, it's secure there. It's been given to the appropriate authorities, the sheriff in LaFleur County, along with the DA and the Department of Justice. So we're moving forward um, and not trying to take the law in our own hands. Now, um, one of the things that I said last week that I believe is important here, we saw a 101-year-old former Nazi soldier tried and convicted. There have been other former Nazi soldiers who have been in their 70s, 80s, 90s, convicted, deported from this country. So there's this notion that somehow, oh, Carolyn Bryant is too old. No. Um, Robert Durst, who recently died, was tried uh, several times uh, for murder. He was elderly. He was convicted. Uh, and then, of course, he, he eventually died a little bit after that. So it, it's not like, oh, th this is somehow outside of the realm of American law enforcement. No, it has happened. And I dare say um, I will compare a former Nazi guard to white supremacists during the era of Jim Crow. They are the same. That's correct. Deborah first. Deborah, then John. You know, Edgar Ray Killens uh, was actually uh, convicted also, you know, of, of the three civil rights workers, that murder. And so we have in this country that opportunity to bring forward an accomplice. She's culpable in the murder and, the, and excuse me, the kidnapping and murder and lynching of Emmett Lewis Till. Um, this, you won't hear us saying uh, uh, anything about her age. You know, that's not coming from us. We've worked really hard, and Mamie Tomobi set the stage for what we're doing today. She always wanted justice. But the one thing that you won't hear from us is we don't hate Carolyn. We don't have malice or vengeance. We want justice to be carried right. out. We want this to, to occur as it should have occurred in 1955. So there's nothing that we're asking for or doing that um, anyone that is that has not been held accountable, we're asking for the accountability to take place. What is different here is that this is a white woman. And this white woman, and there's not many white women that have been held accountable yep. for any kind of offenses. So this would set a precedence. But I think Mississippi has blood on its hands. Uh, there's a stain there. And I know they want to move forward. They cannot move forward without clearing this up with them. So I see it as a wonderful opportunity for the state of Mississippi, for the attorney yeah. general, the governor, right. along with the DA, to have the will and the courage to move this forward. And then I think our country has a has an opportunity to see justice work, the wheels of justice work, like it does for every other citizen, other than That's black right. in this country. Right. And, um, and John, look, Byron Della Beckwith, uh, who was uh, prosecuted uh, for the murder of uh, Medgar Evers, um, his trial was in uh, 1994. Uh, he was convicted. Uh, he was 71 years old. Again, old white man. Sorry, old white man, same as old white woman. 
Right. And you know what's interesting? I really believe, uh, Mr. Martin, that if you was to go back in time in 1955 and you see three awards for three people, brother-in-law, husband, wife, I've been hearing, don't know a, a Mr. Uh, cousin here can, can elaborate on this, I'm visualizing cops coming to the house, picking the brother-in-law and the father up, I mean the husband up, and seeing Miss Carolyn with the two kids and saying, you know what, you got the babies, we're going to put this warrant to the side, let you keep the babies, and we're going to take the brother-in-law and the husband. And it's funny that you talk about the age factor. Because a reporter in Raleigh last week, that was one of her questions. She thought she was going to throw me off, but it didn't work. She said, Mr. Barnett, don't you feel bad about an 87-year-old lady who's, who's, who she's losing her mind and to give me all these sad stories? I said, y'all just locked up for your cousin. <laughs> you didn't care if he was losing his eyesight or not. You didn't care about his wife, Camille. You locked up Bill Cosby. So, and, and we still haven't found any tangible evidence on that. So I'm thinking what happened was, and I, I wasn't there in 1955, I just have to go back in my civil rights mind and say those cops did not want to take her to jail because she had those two children there. But now, that day is, these kids are older now, uh, and they're grown and they can feed themselves. And I think it's the right thing to do now with the race relationship. Well, going you know on. what? I, I, I want you. I, I just want to pause it right there because um, I remember when Congressman Jesse Jackson Jr. Uh, was convicted. He pled guilty. Um, he had children. He and his wife, he and his then wife, uh, were right. both convicted. He went to prison first when he was released. She then went to prison because they factored in the caring of their children. Uh, so, again, so all of these excuses that people have offered, uh, we can show numerous examples where individuals with children uh, went to prison for, for, the, uh, for the things that they uh, were involved in. Deborah, the other thing is this here. Carolyn Bryant has admitted she lied. I mean, Timothy Tyson uh, did this book uh, called The Blood of Emmett Till, where in, the, in, in interviews with him, she admitted she lied. Now, the whole point is, if you execute the arrest warrant, you now then get her, have to interview her and get her now under oath admitting that. Uh, and so it's there. And so for these district, for this DA, for this DA, I mean, he, the pressure has to be put on him as well because he is allowing someone, your point uh, that you made, someone who participated in the kidnapping, frankly, and was an accomplice to murder, Right. to walk around scot-free. Yeah. Right. Well, uh, uh, Roland, I do want to clear something up. Um, the Timothy Tyson book did claim that Carolyn Bryant recanted her story. She later refuted that. She and her uh, daughter-in-law uh, said they're sticking to the lie, you know, the lie that, that Emmett sexually made sexual advances towards her. Now, everybody knows, and they should know today, yes, Emmett did whistle. That should not have been a death sentence. Secondly, uh, when the FBI reopened the case in uh, 2017 because of Timothy Tyson's book, they closed it December 6, 2021, because they could not corroborate his statement, the statements in his book, or through any of his investigation and recordings. He had no recordings of Carolyn Bryant doing this. So Carolyn Bryant is sticking to the, uh, I guess, the claim that Emmett grabbed her about the waist, made sexual mm -hmm. advances towards her, which, which we all know did not happen. Mm -hmm. that, say that, that said that he 
uh, whistle, they were there. And so they know that he didn't do that. He didn't have an opportunity to do that. So what we're talking about is specifically Carolyn Bryant being culpable in the kidnapping. There were two young men that were brought to Carolyn that night as well. Those two young men were let go. Of course, they were beat up. They were let go. But Carolyn said, no, those aren't the ends, right? So, but Emmett ends up kidnapped, lynched, 75-pound right. fan tied around his neck and thrown into Tallahatchie River. The other thing I want to say, we don't have to speculate what happened. Right. We have On the warrant, it says they couldn't find Carolyn Bryant in the county. Other reports, we, you know, this is, I just want everybody to know, a child was kidnapped and lynched. Wow. This isn't a story. This isn't a game. This is an open murder case. We don't right. want anything to impede with the legal aspects that have to move forward in this case. I don't, I, I don't want to be disrespectful, but I don't have time for opinions. I don't have time for, uh, you know, speculation or what happened. Emmett was murdered. We're talking right. about my cousin who was lynched. We have bills after him. We have uh, Emmett Till Unsolved Civil Rights Crimes Act after him. His case is still open. So I just want people to respect the fact that we're moving forward. We're moving forward with earnest. We're not turning back. We are not um, accepting what the Department of Justice has said about the case being closed. It is not in our eyes. And right. through the grace of God, we were able to uncover that last piece of evidence, maybe not the last piece, but one huge piece of evidence that we believe they can use to move forward. They mm -hmm. need the warrant. At the very least, serve the warrant to Carolyn Bryant. At the very least. Yep. Complete yeah. what you set out, what you should have set out to do. And it's, it's amazing, you know, um, Roland, an old mentor of mine uh, once told me that innocent blood cries from the grave. I was like, wow, innocent blood. We may not know exactly what happened to Dr. King or who shot JFK in the grassy knoll. But this is an obvious sign that the that innocent blood, that that Emmett's innocent blood cried cried from the grave. And to know that the Justice Department closed the case last year in December, if they had, had if they had had this smoking gun with this warrant, maybe things would have been a little better. So I'm definitely I agree with my sister. The DOJ need to open it back up. Much respect to the DOJ. They need to open this case back up because now we have a smoking gun. This is like the OJ glove. This warrant is is just damaged. There are a lot of people. Deborah, go ahead. Final comment. There are a lot of people that don't much about the case, and so I just want to make sure there was enough evidence in 2004 when the case was was presented. Uh, there was evidence that implicated two people: Carolyn Bryant Donham and Hen Henry uh, Lee Loggins. Those were the two last living accomplices. Um, the grand jury was was um, formed. Uh, you know that's done in secret. And they decided no true bill. But there was enough evidence that was gathered between 2004, 2006, and that case was in 2007. So we're saying that this is a continuation yep. of that investigation. And this is one piece that they that can prove, as it was proved in 2004, that Carolyn Bryant is an accomplice. And so without hate, malice, or vengeance, we without violence, or anything like that, we are going to be moving forward. 
And so we just want to make sure that the country stands with us, that we have the prayer warriors out there praying with us, that Mississippi does the right thing. Mississippi has an opportunity to remove that stain. They have blood on their hands right now. They can clean that up. Dwayne Richardson, please, and panel a grand jury, sheriff in LaFleur County, serve the warrant wherever Carolyn is in this country or world. Deborah Watts, uh, John Barnett, we surely appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Bringing in my panel right now, we have Dr. Reverend Jeff Carr. Uh, he, of course, uh, the Affinity Fellowship uh, in Nashville, Tennessee. Dr. Nola Haynes, Georgetown University uh, professor. Dr. Julian Malvo, Dean College of Ethnic Studies, California State University, Los Angeles. Glad to have all three of you here. Um, I, I made the point, um, Nola, that I made the point when you compare how uh, Jews across the world have made it clear they will do whatever is necessary to ensure that anybody who is still alive, who participated in the Holocaust, is brought to justice. They do not care where they are in the world. They will go after them. That should be the exact same position of African-Americans in this country if there are people who are alive, who participated in the lynching and the killing of black people, who discriminate against black people, everyone must pay for what they did to our ancestors. I absolutely agree. Listen, um, first of all, I'm just so excited to be here this evening um, to join the famous panel. And, you know, what the Israeli state did, you know, following, um, the, the, the horrible crimes of World War II. In terms of going around the world, you're absolutely correct, going around the world and like literally collecting up Nazis, even if it was illegal extradition, they still did it. And I wanna point out, you know, what's interesting is that it was an outside factor, right? So you have this outside, outside factor in many of these instances that came into where Jews were living and working and raising their families, right? And so the Israeli state said, we are going to take care of our people, we are going to find these people, and we're going to bring them to justice. Now, we all know that our own country, that our own state has a long history and kind of writing a lot of our internal wrongs. And that's part of the reason why we are where we are today. And when I was listening to um, the, the, the opening segment just now, I was thinking about how powerful the Emmett Till Memorial is at the African American uh, Museum in, in D.C. And listening to that quote about the innocent blood cries from the grave, if anyone has been to that exhibit and you experience that energy, you literally have to step out of the room because it is so strong, it is so powerful, because Emmett is crying from the grave because justice has not been served. So I completely agree with you. I think that the U.S. should absolutely step up and say this was not right, even though you are prosecuting your own. You know what I mean? Because we are a part of this grand experiment, too. And we have felt left out. We are left out in many of these processes. And I think that this is absolutely a step in the right direction and what needs to be done. Emmett Till deserves justice, period. Um, you know, Jeff, one of the things that uh, we've often seen, um, and I think this is, a, is problematic, um, we have black organizations, we have individuals who have taken on this notion of, you know what, let's just move on. 
um, in the aftermath of nine black people being gunned down at Emanuel AME, Mother Emanuel, uh, all of the national media, everyone's, look, oh my God, this is, oh my forgiveness. They're, they're, look at, they're, they're, they automatically go to forgiveness. I think vengeance serves a purpose. I believe the, the absolute pursuit of justice serves a purpose. I think what it says to anyone is if you do harm to our people, we will not rest until you brought justice. <coughs> Excuse me. And to me, that has to happen. We've got to have people who are simply unwilling to rest until each and every person who, have, who, had, who has done something to our people, they are held accountable. It's our responsibility. Uh, it's our responsibility as a people. And when I say a people, it goes beyond just this epidermal layer uh, that makes us brown and melanated. It goes to the very core of humanity. Uh, when we come together as humanity, we recognize that all of us demand and deserve justice. And it doesn't have to do with the state of our hearts. I remember being in college and being rear-ended by this really sweet couple. Um, they totaled the car. I had to be cut from the car. I had to be removed and taken to the hospital. I survived it. Uh, they visited me at my house. They brought me some cookies, uh, asked me if I needed anything. They were the nicest couple you could ever, ever find. Uh, and yet, it was their responsibility to take care of my hospital bills. It was their responsibility to take care of anything that could affect me in the future. They call it pain and suffering in the insurance world. So as much as I could forgive them for accidentally even uh, running into me, they still had to pay the piper because when you cause an accident, when you cause something like that, you have responsibility. When we look at the uh, egregious nature of what has happened to Emmett Till, one of our ancestors who uh, left too soon, we recognize that I don't care how old you are, there is a bill to still be paid. There is still responsibility that is there, regardless of whether the family, the community, or organizations practice the awesome act of forgiveness. I'm a, I'm a believer, I'm a practitioner of forgiveness. Forgiveness is for ourselves, not for other people. But forgiveness does not exist in a bubble. Uh, we still have to take the responsibility to institute justice. Uh, we've been referencing the uh, Jews' pursuit of Nazi criminals. I think it's important to point out that Joseph Schultz, who was the person that you referenced that was 101 years old, this cat could barely talk, couldn't move, couldn't walk, and yet he was hunted to the ends of the earth for being a prison guard in a camp. So if you look at that level of responsibility to pay justice and to return justice to people, especially their ancestors, we see that there is precedent for it. It's a natural order of things. So although in our hearts we recognize forgiveness, we embrace forgiveness, we also embrace justice because we recognize that when you have those three warrants going, uh, as our sister, uh, sister Watts uh, described, when you have three warrants going out and you only serve two of them, that means that there is complicity. Someone within that system decide to, decided to protect this woman. 
Uh, now that the covers have been ripped off, the Band-Aid is open, it's now time for justice to step in to provide whatever healing can be provided, considering we can't bring our brother back. Uh, Julian, uh, Senator Doug Jones uh, sponsored, former, L former LM Senator Doug Jones, uh, sponsored a particular bill that would create uh, a federal review board for civil rights cold cases. Uh, Donald Trump did sign it into law, but did nothing to appoint any of the members. Uh, it was a few months ago when President Joe Biden uh, actually appointed the members uh, to that particular uh, review board. And, and their job is to, is to review these cases, uh, review these outstanding cases. Because the fact of the matter is there are still um, cases out there and, and I go back to, again, the attitude that we must have, and go, go to my iPad, please, uh, in just a second. I want y'all to pull this up because it, it actually uh, it shows this. This was, uh, this was April 5th, 2022, um, where it was established uh, in 2019, but Donald Trump did nothing uh, when it came to it. And it said, this law requires the National Archives uh, and Records Administration to create the Civil Rights Cold Case Records Collection and requires federal agencies to turn over copies of any remaining records from the civil rights era cold cases to the NARA for inclusion in the collection and release to the public. Um, and so uh, that's exactly Margaret, Margaret Burnham, Gabrielle Dudley, Hank uh, Klibanoff, and Brenda Stevenson are those uh, four members. To the folks in the control room, I want you to call all four of those and get one or all of them on the show. I want to see exactly what it is that they're actually doing right now. And as you see, the story says, the, the board is charged with reviewing the records of civil rights era cold criminal cases of murders and other racially motivated violence that occurred between 1940 and 1979. Many of these records are still closed to the public. You know, um, you can run, but you can't hide, and stuff will catch up with you. I'm happy that uh, President Biden has appointed the members of the uh, Cold Case Re Records Review Board, but I'm even happier that Deborah Watts, who's a dear friend, has been so persistent in getting justice for Emmett Till. You, I don't care how old that lady is. I truly don't. And in fact, um, in fact Julianne, hold on one second. I'm going to go back. So uh, the Department of Justice identified, first of all, that was an act that was called the Emmett Till Unsolved Civil Rights Crime Act. Um, and then this was all these people out here who, who act, say you don't have any specific uh, black bills. Well, this was one, y'all, that was passed, that was actually passed in 2008. And the DOJ identified and investigated 132 cases involving 151 victims of racially motivated violence. Uh, 104 of the cases were closed with no further action, remaining cold cases, but several are still open. Go ahead. Yeah, but, but the point, Meryl, is it's important to deal with these cold cases. It's important to have justice for Emmett Till. And it's even more important for us to excavate what has happened and to ensure that our nation knows about it. The very people who you mentioned at the top, um, these African-American organizations who want to let it go, will they let it go if it's their mama or their daddy? No, they wouldn't. The fact is that they it, it, uncom uncomfortable, inconvenient, but real. And it hurts. You know, I don't know how much time I've spent with Deborah talking about the Emmett Till case and how she's been... I mean, I must have met her in the 90s. And she's basically... Every time I see her, that's what she's talking about. She has been just basically 
laser focus on justice for her cousin. Just like we have to be, if we have any integrity, laser focus on justice for our people. There are so many instances of people abusing, killing, lynching, stealing from our people. And I love Jeff's uh, example of the lovely people who wrecked his car. Um, and I, I tell you what, Jeff, and if they died before they paid you, their kids were going to have to pay you. And we need Absolutely. to think about 100%. that, 100%. So we have to think about that, too. All these people say, I didn't have any slaves. I didn't have anything to do with it. Yes, you did. You didn't. If you didn't do it directly, you did it indirectly. Roland, I'm so glad that, that we have this segment to talk about Emmett Till, because you're, 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 you're here, we know about Emmett Till, and we know about some others, and you say there are 100 and some still open. But dig this. How many do we not know about? Right. How many mm -hmm. black men disappeared in the middle of the night yep. in Mississippi, Alabama, Louisiana? We don't know their names. We don't know what happened to them. You know, in some cases, their folks thought they ran away or something. Not ran away like slaves, but, you know, the brother just left. You know, I wasn't going to uh, walk go to the store to get a quart of milk, and he disappeared. And we don't know whether these were lynchings, killings, or what. But here's what we do know, Roland. We know about economic envy. Mm -hmm. We know about white nationalism. Economic envy, if a brother had too much money, he might get killed. Mm -hmm. White nationalism. We know that the... I refuse to use the term white supremacy anymore, because they're not supreme. They're inferior. We, I will use the term white nationalism to talk about... But we know about white nationalism, the way that it has thrived in this country. So... Justice for Everett Till, but justice for black America. All right, folks. Hold tight one second. We come back. We'll talk about the gun bill signed into law today by President Joe Biden. And one of the family members who was in the audience challenged the president as he was speaking. We'll show you that exchange coming up next on Roland Martin Unfiltered right here on the Black Star Network. Don't forget, folks, to support us in what we do. Please download the Black Star Network app, uh, available on all platforms, uh, Apple phone, Android phone, Apple TV, Android TV, Roku, Amazon Fire TV, Xbox One, Samsung Smart TV. You can also support us with your resources. Uh, every dollar you give goes to support this show, the great work that we do. We've got some amazing things coming up. We'll be in Birmingham next week for the uh, SWAC Media Day. Southwestern Athletic Conference. Uh, looking forward to that. We'll also be attending uh, the Rock Nation Social Social Justice Summit. Uh, Wendell Haskins has his original T Golf Classic. Where they're honoring Alonzo Mourning. They raise money for uh, black and other minority golfers. And so uh, we cover the gamut of things on this show. Uh, you can send your checks and money orders to P.O. Box 57196, Washington, D.C., 20037-0196. Cash app is dollar sign RM Unfiltered. PayPal is RR Martin Unfiltered. Venmo is RM Unfiltered. Zale is rolling at rollingsmartin.com. Rolling at rollingmartinunfiltered.com. We'll be right back. Of course, I looked up to Spike Lee. Of course, who didn't? I mean, he's a, he's a, he's a genius. But then also, I was this, this, this kid from Brooklyn right. that felt like, you know. Give me my damn respect. I, you know, I, I, I made this, you know, this creative art, right, that people are responding to. And it would have been great if we had the opportunity to sit one-on-one. -on -one. Hold on a second. Okay. Spike. Love So I'm in LA right now. I got a one-on-one -on -one series with my network, Black Star Network. And I'm interviewing Maddie Rich. I appreciate that, bro. That's that was that's a big moment, man. That was like 
Uh, man, that was good. Got me all choked up. That's good. Well, I'm all about connecting. Appreciate that. by the culture, whether we know it or not. From politics to music and entertainment, it's a huge part of our lives, and we're going to talk about it every day right here on The Culture with me, Faraji Muhammad, only on the Black Star Network. Hi, y'all doing? It's your favorite funny girl, Amanda Seals. Hi, I'm Anthony Brown from Anthony Brown and Group Therapy. What up, Lana Well, and you are watching Roland Martin All right, y'all, today, President Joe Biden signed the Safer Communities Act. Of course, it is the first piece of major legislation, uh, gun legislation, uh, in nearly 30 years. This is what he had to say to the many folks who were assembled uh, in the White House Guard on South Lawn. About the most fundamental. What we're doing here today is real. It's vivid. It's relevant. The action we take today is a step designed to make our nation the kind of nation we should be. It's about the most fundamental of things, the lives of our children, of our loved ones. We face literally a moral choice in this country, moral choice with profound real-world real world implications. Will we take wise steps to fulfill the responsibility to protect the innocent and while keeping faith with the constitutional rights? Will we match thoughts and prayers with action? I say yes. And that's what we're doing here today. Today is many things. It's proof that despite the naysayers, we can make meaningful progress on dealing with gun violence. Because make no mistake, sit down, you'll hear what I have to say. If you think you. Let him talk. Let him talk. No one, okay? Because make no mistake about it, this legislation is real progress, but more has to be done. The provision of this new legislation is going to save lives, and it's proof that today's politics, we can come together on a bipartisan basis to get, basis to get important things done, even on an issue as tough as guns. What we're doing here today is uh, many people have been talking about uh, that particular um, exchange uh, that took place uh, today. Uh, the, uh, the man who was uh, speaking, uh, first of all, he was actually removed uh, from, uh, the, uh, from that particular uh, event uh, by White House staff. His name is Manuel Oliver. His son, Joaquin, 17 years old, uh, was killed in the Parkland mass shooting. One of the things that he said, that was uh, nothing to celebrate today. Uh, he said, uh, quote, it's a big lie. We lie between ourselves thinking we have a solution to this when we actually don't. Also speaking today was the Vice President Kamala Harris. Here's what she had to say. Today is indeed an historic day. For 30 years, our nation has failed to pass meaningful gun violence legislation. Again and again, the American people have called 
for common sense action to protect our communities. Last month, their call was finally answered when President Joe Biden signed the Bipartisan Safer Communities Act. Because of our president's leadership, and because of so many of you, we have passed a law that will make communities around our nation safer. For my whole career, addressing gun violence has been one of my top priorities, first as a courtroom prosecutor, then as district attorney of San Francisco, where we created a gun specialist unit to go after violent offenders. Then, of course, as Attorney General, where our office worked closely with the California Bureau of Firearms to investigate and seize firearms from those who unlawfully possess them. As a United States Senator, together with my former colleagues in the Senate, we supported various pieces of legislation to address this crisis. So I knew, and I know now, as so many of you do, that we are overdue in getting this work done. And I know it will save lives. Now, folks, the law will fund crisis intervention, uh, including red flag laws, keep guns out of the hands of people who are dangerous to themselves and others, close the boyfriend loophole, require people to, under age 21 to undergo enhanced background checks, include the first ever federal law making gun trafficking and straw purchases distinct federal crimes, clarifies who needs to register as a federally licensed gun dealer, and run background checks before selling a single weapon. Now, uh, the thing that, that, that jumps out here, Julian, is uh, I agree with Manuel Oliver. Uh, more has to be done. And so the approach to this can't be that this is the only thing uh, to do. Okay, this is nearly 30 years in the making. Let's wait 30 more years. No, uh, that is pursue the next bill. Pursue the ban on assault weapons. Uh, Democrats, introduce that bill. Make folks vote on it before the November election. Be far more aggressive. Rolly, you know, the thing that's frustrating about this, I agree with Mr. Oliver as well. Uh, this is a baby step in the right direction. Kudos to President Biden for this bipartisan legislation, but it's a baby step. There are a whole bunch of other things that we can do. We know that, um, as an example, people have been sued. $78 million went to the uh, families of victims from Sandy Hook. There ought to be a whole lot more lawsuits just like that. The, the Buffalo folks need to be suing. Who have these gun makers? These gun makers are making predatory profits on the backs of lives, and they need to be sued. These parents, these parents, how does the, your son has threatened to shoot up your house and kill everybody? Then you go get him a gun permit, and then you go on television or no, he was on with the New York Post and say he didn't do anything wrong. Sue his, you know what? Sue him and all of them. That people have to understand, you know, see, at the end of the day, I am an economist. Follow the money. People have to experience economic consequences when they do stupid stuff like this. Stupid stuff, I'd be getting a permit for your child, and your child didn't do stupid stuff. They did criminal stuff. The folks in Buffalo, oh, they had no idea. Sue their behinds. And uh, when you connect some of this to economic consequences, you will begin to see something. Folks who have portfolios, take your stock out of uh, Smith and Re uh, Wesson or Remington or Beretta or some of those. There are things that can be done. The feds are going to move like molasses because the Senate is divided. But you know what? We as a people, 
need to put our foot down and say, this is unacceptable. And so the, the man who shouted out, I mean, it was rude, uh, in, inappropriate, but he's frustrated. He lost his child. And in many, many ways, he did the right thing. Um, also, what you have to do here, um, uh, Nola, you've got to get rid of, again, the immunity for gun manufacturers where they can't be sued. How in the hell, again, that is still intact? You know, I am so, there are so many things I want to say about this. Both of my parents are military, so they raised me with an understanding of how serious it is to own a gun. And I'm also from the South. I am from the Bible Belt. I am proudly from New Orleans, Louisiana. And so I know a lot of people who lean on the, the uh, Second Amendment uh, more than they care about actually human lives and love and inclusion. And personally, personally, what angers me the most is that we are held captive by a minority who seems to want a theocracy and guns, you know, more than they want love and inclusion. And to the economic point that Dr. Melbo just spoke about, that's not a that's not a very good long-term economic plan for the country. I just want to go ahead and say that, you know. Um, and I think that being held hostage by this minority, we do this gradualism thing when it comes to policy because they hold so much sway. And let's just be very honest about this. Um, one of the things that I do in my work in national security and foreign policy is threats. My work is all about threats. The domestic terrorism threat is quite real. The material cachet of weapons that a lot of people um, in these kind of terroristic, domestic terroristic organizations, they have a lot of guns. And so in many ways, a lot of this legislation that seems like piecemeal, that seems like it's not enough, is to not to really just kind of average, you know, push the country towards an out and out civil war. Now there are some people who say we are already there, right? That 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 the fun that the first got that the first shot has been fired. So I'm not necessarily here to say if we are, if we aren't, but I do know that there is some hesitation not to want to further aggravate the minority who is absolutely holding this entire country hostage. And I completely feel the anguish um, from the family member who lost someone. I am angry as an educator. You know, when the freedom that you once had in classrooms and the openness and, you know, just the positive energy, that is gone. Fear has definitely entered the classroom, not just from fear of maybe possibly being shot, but also fear from even talking about these kinds of issues. There are a lot of my colleagues that I talk to all the time who, um, especially are lawyers, are political scientists like me who deal with, um, you know, politics and presidents and all these different things, that they are scared to have some of these conversations in the classroom. And I think that's really, really unfortunate that because of this minority who seems to want this theocracy has held us hostage. We are continued to be held hostage. We are getting legislation that, yes, is very important, but it absolutely, it, it doesn't go far enough. And the last thing that I'll say about this is, you know, I'm not necessarily interested in this whole language of a superpower. But one of the things that I will say that America has not done in terms of leading the rest of the world in um, progress is around guns, is around the Second Amendment. Now, the Second Amendment, all amendments are absolutely important, but at the same time, for a lot of these originalists and these constitutionalists, what is the context, the context in which the Second Amendment was written? 
We no longer live in that type of environment. I just do not understand why anyone needs a weapon of war. I am in national security. These things are serious. There is no need for anyone to have an automatic rifle, uh, just, just to have that in the house. And yep. so I'm sorry, this is an issue that, I, that I'm very passionate about. And again, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm exhausted. I am exhausted with being held hostage by these people. Jeff. Yeah, Dr. Uh, Dr. Malvo framed it, and uh, Dr. Nola just named it. I mean, we've got economics working hand in hand with a white, uh, oppressive nationalist mentality that is preventing us from getting done the things that would move us toward a higher state of civilizations, knowing that civilization's root word is civil. It speaks to the social order and how things work. We are not living in a high space of civilization. We're not demonstrating it. Uh, the United States is absolutely a superpower. It is a superpower in a potential state. It has not moved forward in that way. Its superpowers have been squandered. It is definitely leading the world. We're leading the world here in school shootings. Uh, we're looting the, leading the world in spaces where children, where families should be safe, uh, where we should be able to move forward and know that people who are criminals, people who are abusers, people who are stalkers, should never even feel comfortable thinking about owning a weapon, much less a weapon of mass destruction. But we see with this legislation and the conversations around closing what that's called, and that's the boyfriend loophole, that someone can be an abuser, someone can be someone who's convicted of stalking and can still walk in and buy a weapon and find a way to go out into the world and exercise what they believe to be their Second Amendment rights, but is really a hateful spirit and a lack of love and empathy that has led us to the state that we're in. Uh, when we talk about this package and its investment in mental health, uh, when it's uh, with the investment in crisis intervention, uh, with its investment in providing incentives to uh, states and to cities and municipalities that actually provide money to people who will say, legally speaking, we're going to let you know that people's juveniles rec juvenile records are going to come into play if they attempt to buy a weapon, especially if they're underage. We're going to use that as part of the screening. That is what we would call in higher academic language, duh. That would be, that, that, that should just be common sense. It's the duh moment that we got from Dr. Malvo. It's the duh, duh moment that we got from Dr. Nola there. Who needs an AR-15? Who needs a high-capacity magazine to go deer hunting? I'm here in the buckle of the Bible Belt, and you hear this talk all the time, and nobody's going to take my weapons away from me. Nobody's going to take it. I need to protect myself. For real, man, you're doing it that big where you need a cache of AR-15s. You have military offices and headquarters and, and the National Guard Armory around the corner from us, and I don't think their front office is stocked with AR-15s. So we, we see this energy, and we see it manifest in the pain that parents have. Uh, the, usually, Joe Biden, we rec recognize President Biden in the old days. He was known as a fighter. Uh, and you know he's not afraid of a conversation of somebody interrupting him normally. I think he may have been a little bit cautious because, you know, like three days ago, he actually read that uh, repeat the line, end of quote, that was on the uh, teleprompter. And he got gassed a little bit for that. But I think in this case, you can feel the pain of Manuel Oliver. Uh, if you're a parent, if you're a cousin, if you're a friend, if you've known somebody that's that's been lost senselessly, 
you feel the pain. His son was one of the 17 murdered in that Parkland shooting and the 17 injured. You never lose that sense of loss. You never lose that sense of justice. And it is specifically why yep. we have to continue to push even as we celebrate. And as the great Ella Baker said in the Sweet Honey in the Rock adaptation in that song, we who believe in freedom cannot rest until it comes. Uh, let me go to a break, folks. And uh, by the way, White House staff, uh, don't be simpletons and put in the script, repeat the line. Just type the damn line again. Just saying, that's somebody who has a little experience with teleprompters. All right, y'all, coming up next, our Black and Missing. We'll also talk about a fierce abortion debate uh, in Pennsylvania. We'll also hear from the president of Florida Memorial University about um, his plans for to grow that uh, Miami school. You're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered right here on the Black Star Network. Back in a moment. Hi, I'm Dr. Jackie Hood Martin, and I have a question for you. Ever feel as if your life is teetering and the weight and pressure of the world is consistently on your shoulders? Well, let me tell you, living a balanced life isn't easy. Join me each Tuesday on Black Star Network for a balanced life with Dr. Jackie. We'll laugh together, cry together, pull ourselves together, and cheer each other on. So join me for new shows each Tuesday on Black Star Network, a balanced life with Dr. Jackie. Pull up a chair, take your seat, the Black Tape, with me, Dr. Greg Carr, here on the Black Star Network. Every week, we'll take a deeper dive into the world we're living in. Join the conversation only on the Black Star Network. Hi, I'm Amber Stevens-West from The Carmichael Show. Hi, my name is Latoya Luckett, and you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. Um, we hate to always have to do uh, one of these uh, stories, but the reality is uh, we have our black and missing segment uh, for the purpose of giving some attention uh, to cases that uh, often get ignored by uh, white mainstream media. 13-year-old black girl is on her way to, excuse me, first of all, uh, this is a, a, first of all, a five foot two inches um, young woman here, folks, uh, Sandra Ingram, last seen July 3rd in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. She's five foot two, 144 pounds, black hair, brown eyes. Again, she has been missing from Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Uh, and um, we just have way too many folks uh, of these stories. Uh, if you have any information, any information with regards to her, please call 954-764-4357, 954-764-4357. All right, folks, uh, we have seen, of course, Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, uh, which has led to the returning of uh, this issue to various states. Well, in Pennsylvania, uh, there was a fierce debate on this very issue. Uh, Pennsylvania is often considered a blue state, but uh, Republicans uh, hold significant sway uh, outside of your major urban centers like Pittsburgh as well as Philadelphia. And so uh, on the floor of the Pennsylvania legislature, 
they were uh, going back and forth, and uh, I saw this video uh, of a sister uh, who was uh, fired up, ready to go, uh, when it came to uh, this uh, particular issue here. Her name is uh, Joanna McClinton. She's a state representative. Uh, she went after her fellow lawmakers after various new amendments were proposed to the state's constitution. Those changes would explicitly say the document does not guarantee any rights related to abortion or public funding of abortions. Um, she had a little to say about that. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I wasn't going to say anything, but in rules tonight, we had timely filed amendments and we couldn't run our timely filed amendments. All the members of the Rules Committee know how that went down. There was no camera. So the people watching right now at home that are texting and tweeting and Facebooking about this nonsense, they didn't see what occurred in the rules meeting. But there were timely filed amendments that we offered in the rules meeting. And guess what happened in the rules meeting in this Democratic chamber that loves votes and loves voters? Well, the members of the committee in the rules meeting, Mr. Speaker, and this is why we need to suspend the rules now, with our timely filed amendments, we were not allowed to vote on one of them. We offered three timely filed amendments, and Mr. Speaker, you and the majority leader know the nature of the rules of this institution do not provide us the opportunity to provide a timely filed amendment tonight. You're aware of that, because you made those rules. So here we are on a Friday night, glad to be at work because we know our voters sent us here to fight this battle. And we can't even suspend the rules for one consideration of something that is very important. As the maker of the motion stated, we're talking about women dying. We're talking about more than half the population not being able to make decisions when not even half of this body has a uterus. That's what we're talking about tonight, and that's why these rules need to be suspended, because we don't follow the rules in this body. Let the people back home know. That's why the rules need to be suspended, Mr. Speaker. That is why the rules need to be suspended, Mr. Speaker, because we had timely filed amendments that were tabled. And in case you're watching, because so many are, as we heard from constituents, voters are watching, we filed them in a timely way so they could be considered in committee, which is what the majority leader likes to lecture my caucus about each and every legislative day. But here we are being silenced yet again. And understand when you're silencing us, we are actually elected officials like you all. So you're silencing millions of voters from every corner of the Commonwealth when you silence us and don't allow us to amend bills that won't let people vote, that won't allow women to make their own decisions. You're silencing all of us. So we need to suspend the rules and let this amendment come through before we rush this off to the voters. Those same voters that you tried to silence in 2020 when you didn't like the outcome of the election. Those same voters that you said Mr. it didn't Speaker. matter what they chose. Those are the people you're trying to shut up. General lady, please suspend. For what purposes a gentleman, the majority leader rise? We want point of order.
You may state your point of order. It would seem that the previous speaker is trying to impugn the motive of some of our speakers. I just ask her to stay on topic. Council, please come to order. Also, please come to order so that the leader can be recognized for his point of order, just as the prior leader was re recognized to speak on the suspension of the rules. I will once again remind the members that disrupting the orderly debate of session is contrary to the rules that we all voted on previously in the session. So, you, Majority Leader, you may state your point of order. Speaker, ask the Majority Leader to please restate your point of order. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I was encouraging the member to stay on the topic of the bill and not be imputing some of the motives of our members and actions of other elected officials prior, or we could start talking about the Secretary of State. Gentlemen, Speaker, thanks the gentleman for raising a point of order. However, I will remind the members that we are to engage in an orderly debate regarding this. Generally, and I will once again remind the members of this as well, both leaders are giving a little bit more latitude to speak on items, both policy and procedure of the House. However, it is not productive to unnecessarily excite members from either sides, and that applies to both sides. Gentlemen's point of order is noted, and Leader McClinton, you may conclude your remarks. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. As I was saying, in this undemocratic chamber that cares so much tonight about voters and rushing off a constitutional amendment to voters, we need to suspend these rules because we want it to make this better. If we're going to get a product to voters as early as the primary in 2023, then let's work on a product that explains to voters what these issues are. Let's not jam them all through on one very convoluted question that they may receive in the future. If we want to care about the voters, we need to suspend the rules because the voters elected Tom Wolf. The voters elected us to legislate, not rush amendments down the turnpike to their voting booth at the next primary off-year election. So I ask everyone to support the gentle lady from Montgomery County's motion to suspend these rules. Here, thanks the good lady. What we are seeing, Nola, we're seeing speeches like that happen all around the country. Uh, and I think one of the key lines when she said, you've got half of this body, you don't even have a uterus. Ooh. Okay, let me gather myself. <laughs> you know, I'm going to say three things. Ideology has no place in decision making. Ideology has no place in decision making. 
ideology has no place in decision making. And the reason why I want to reinforce this point is because for the life of me, I cannot understand what the long-term goal is here. To alienate 50% of the entire population does not make sense. It does not make policy sense. It does not make political sense. It does not make economic sense. So we go back to control and we go back to ideology because that, that seems to be the only thing that's really driving this. And for the minority of women who do support um, so-called uh, pro-life pro, pro legislation, you know, I wonder what it is that they're thinking about, you know, because at the end of the day, I cannot stand the lazy talking point that, you know, people who are pro-choice, we just want to get our abortions and kill babies. I think that is a very lazy, lazy talking point, especially for people, for women who have fertility problems. You know, that talking point infuriates me. But the thing about it is, you start chipping away at freedom of choice, as we have seen, let, uh, erosion of separation of church and state. You know, we're seeing erosions of um, civil rights protections all over the place. And these things are happening quickly. I mean, what the, what the Supreme Court has been up to in this last session has just been mind-blowing. And collectively, we've all had to catch up and, and, and catch our breath because it's just been, you know, part of this larger project. And I'm going to say it again, like, you know, the, the, these folks who want this kind of uh, Anglo-white Christian theocracy, I do not understand what the end goal is. You want to push all the folks who look like everybody sitting here out of the country, perhaps, or you at least you want to definitely push them out of um, red-leaning uh, states, as that was basically uh, the plan that was that was kind of leaked and admitted to last night. Um, I can't remember which governor. It was either... Um, Florida or um, or Georgia, I can't remember, because they kind of just run into each other at this point. But what is the end goal here? Diversity has literally always been, been this country's strong point. And you are pushing out the voice of women. Why? What is the end goal? I do not understand it. It is infuriating. No one, no one but the two people involved and in how a child is made should make the decision about what to do with that child. What's going to happen when tons of black and brown babies are born and people cannot take care of these children? What legislation is going to be passed in? What type of new Jim Crow or black codes are going to be passed in? So I'm just trying to look at the end game here, and I'm not, and I'm not understanding it. At well, well, I'll say, I, I, I'll say this here, Dr. Malvo, uh, and I was on a uh, Twitter Spaces discussion yesterday. Uh, Luther Campbell had it, and I was trying to explain to the folks on here, look, y'all, uh, we better be girding for battle in state legislatures because that was always the goal of the conservatives. They did not want, uh, by having a hard right Supreme Court returning states' rights, powers back, back to the states, they know that they, can, they, they control uh, 30 states in this country. Uh, and by controlling both chambers and the governor's mansion, they then can do what it is they want to do. And so uh, you, you, you hear these, the, the representative Lauren Boberts of the world, uh, these people want uh, a hard right conservative theocracy uh, to be in charge as, as opposed to a democracy. You know, Sister Nola knows what the end goal, goal is, or end game, and it's re-enslavement. Think about it. If people cannot have access to their body. They don't have bodily autonomy. People can be forced to give birth to children that they cannot support. What happens to those children? 
Will they be placed in orphanages? Will the orphanage conditions be those that replicate those of the early 20th century? What will happen to those children? They don't really care because if they can get free labor, understand that if you're able, essentially, to force people to have children so you get free labor, then the next thing you have is um, basically a, a labor force that you can exploit because they won't know anything. I mean, they won't educate these people, They, you know, these orphans. It, it, Roland, I'm, I'm, I, I'm almost speechless. I do want to say this, though. Sister Joanna McClinton is all that and then some. And what she was really articulating is what many people are going to be articulating, and these legislators need to be asked what the end game is. I also am amused by the asininity of the, uh, whatever he was, speaker, um, and the other one who, who wants to basically lecture people on decorum. See, this is the game. You have good decorum, but you savage me. You, 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 the gentle lady, there ain't nothing gentle about what you are doing to people. And so, in so many ways, you're right, this is going to happen on state houses across the country. But the only thing I, I would invi invite people to reread uh, Olivia Octavia Butler's The Parable of the Talents. She talks about a dystopian world where all order has broken down. We live in such a dystopian world, and the only answer we have, folks, is we got to organize, organize, organize. We have to do our work. Otherwise, we will end up not in mayhem, but just play basically in a system where predatory capitalism rules and where people, not women, but people have no rights. Again, uh, Jeff, what I continue to remind people, uh, you are seeing uh, these battle lines being drawn uh, on the state level. Uh, and so while so many people are focused on the federal elections, we cannot ignore state reps, state senate, gubernatorial races, statewide races, because conservatives are trying to consolidate power on the state level. And we're talking about Texas, Louisiana, Arkansas, Mississippi, Florida, Tennessee, South Carolina, North Carolina. We can go on and on and on. But mainly states where black people are, southern states, the old confederacy. When we think about what Byron Price, who was the head of the Associated Press, said in 1932, and what Tip O'Neill picked up in the 1980s, that phrase, all politics is local, we really have to understand what that means now. Uh, it doesn't mean that you don't participate in federal elections. It means that the policy is made where you live. And I think you got some people who are a little angry at you for, uh, and they misinterpreted and tried to say that you said to go to hell with the federal elections. Uh, of course, people hear and see what they want to see and hear. But the reality is politics is very local. And when people say, how do we get into a space where we have a majority black population? How do we get into a space where we have a primarily blue state in terms of the voters? And yet the legislatures, the metro councils, even now down to the school boards and the police forces, even in tiny municipalities, are opposite. It's because there was a concerted effort to go for the local politics first, because the local politics mean that you can capture the city council. It means that you can capture the state house. It means that you can control what students are learning in schools. And while we're focused on the big picture, not to take the eye off the big picture, but we are focused on that big picture and missing the opportunity to actually infect, effect, and affect the change that we need. When we talk about the, uh, the McClintons of the world, I, I thought it was a powerful message. It was a message. It was a sermon. She was doing three things. She was talking to three people. She was first talking to the lawmakers there. 
and demonstrating how unfairly they are treating even the law itself and how disrespectful they are being. Secondly, she was teaching a class on parliamentary procedure, and she was teaching you how a person who is a master of this procedure can point out the flaws. And then the third thing that she was doing, which I thought was brilliant and masterful, I don't know if it was strategic, the way it was delivered, I would say that it was a direct download from spirit. She was speaking to the voters who are coming up now. She was talking about the voters and referencing the voters. When we filter through uh, what could happen if 50% of the people who do not have or uteruses are trying to control the other 50%, we can't discount something that comes up on the show on a regular basis. The concept of the myth of the white woman ally. Since 1950, <laughs> primarily white women have leaned to and voted Republican. 56% of the women in the last election, white women, voted for Trump, even though they are voting against their own bodies. They are voting against their own uh, self-interest. There's something about this ideology that says that if it could at least be associated, if I could at least exercise my white privilege, then I'll do whatever I need to to be loyal to this institution that we call white nationalism, that we call white theology, uh, as, as Dr. Nola has, has, has discussed. When we have this space where people are focused on their own self-interest over the interests of everybody else and them being a part of that pyramid, that's how we get this unique mix. And I'm so glad that Sister McClinton not only demonstrated those rules, but she broke those rules. So it's time for us to suspend the rule. If the rule says we focus on federal only, we should suspend that rule and focus on local. If the rules say that we have to be quiet, we got to suspend that rule so that we can make our voices heard. And if the rules said and the rules need to be suspended, we got to suspend this rule where we feel as if we have to just put our heads down and go along to get along. It's time for this transformational change. And with that speech, Sister McClinton definitely put it into the world for all of us to follow. Uh, indeed. And speaking of changing the rules in Arizona, a new law has been signed by the governor there, keeping people from videotaping uh, police officers uh, inside of eight feet. That's right. Uh, if bystanders are recording cops, they must be at least eight feet away. Republican Governor Doug Ducey signed the law requiring bystanders to be at minimum uh, distance. Disobeying an officer's command could land, could land the person with a misdemeanor charge, fines up to 500 bucks, jail time up to 30 days, or probation up to a year. The law comes after the Department of Justice's investigation into the Phoenix Police Department uh, for excessive force and discrimination against people of color and the homeless. Opponents of the law say it will reduce the power of video recordings in holding police accountable for their actions. In Kentucky, a black uh, inmate files a federal lawsuit against a state prison for religious discrimination after being forced to cut his dreadlocks. A 2021 memo of the North Point Training Center by Ward Wharton Brad Adams says all inmates would need to have, quote, searchable hair if they travel in or out of facility to court another institution or to the hospital or were placed in solitary confinement. And braids, cornrows, dreadlocks are not permitted if they are not searchable. Carlos Thurman said the rule violated his Rastafarian religion. Thurman also alleges that long-haired white inmates were allowed to keep their long hair.
Folks in Iowa, a black John Deere employee is suing the company for harassment and discrimination based on race and retaliation. Johnny Ray Hogan III said in 2020 he was called the angry black man by co-workers, received racist remarks about eating fried chicken and black people and cornbread. Hogan, who worked in the cotton department, contends a co-worker said, quote, is good you and your ancestors have something in common. He reported the incidents, but nothing was done by management. In 2021, Hogan began being called boy and was threatened by a supervisor who said that Hogan needed to be chained to a dock. John Deere did fire one of Hogan's supervisors. After that, after the supervisor was fired, Hogan was isolated from his co-workers and harassed by his managers. This is the statement from Hogan's attorney, Roxanne Conlon. She says, John Deere has allowed a culture of racism to flourish and thrive within the Des, the, Des Moines, the Des Moines Works facility. Johnny Hogan has been insulted, harassed, belittled, humiliated, and excluded, all because he is a black male. Folks, uh, some uh, good news here. 13-year-old black girl is on her way to becoming uh, a doctor after being admitted into medical school. That's right. Alina Wicker of Fontana, California, yes, 13 years old, was accepted into the University of Alabama at Birmingham's uh, Hearsink School of Medicine through the school's Early Assurance Program, which partners with HBCUs in Alabama to provide early acceptance for medical students. Alina graduated from high school at 12 and in one year completed, y'all, listen to this, in one year she completed half of her undergraduate studies in biomedical sciences at Oakwood University and HBCU. Wicker plans to study immunology. She says she wants to show underrepresented communities that we can help and find cures for these various viruses. All right, y'all, coming up next, uh, my interview with the, with the president of Florida Memorial University. Also, we'll take you to the birthday party, uh, the 80th birthday party of, of the homeboy, Richard Roundtree, yesterday in Los Angeles. Uh, we had an opportunity to live stream the event uh, as well as uh, to attend it. And so, again, we'll show you that, folks. Uh, you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered right here on the Black Star Network. We'll be back in a moment. I'm Deborah Owens, America's Wealth Coach, and on the next Get Wealthy, have you heard that it's not how much you earn, but how much you keep that matters? Well, the secret to building wealth could be hidden in our tax code. That's right. Joining me on the next Get Wealthy is someone who calls herself the gatekeeper to the IRS, and she's going to be sharing the secrets and strategies you need to know whether you're a business owner or an individual, how you can get wealthy. That's right here, only on Black Star Network. Hi, everybody. This is Jonathan Nelson. Hi, this is Cheryl Lee Ralph, and you are watching Roland Martin, Unfiltered. Folks, uh, the first uh, HBCU I ever got a, a, a commencement speech at uh, and also got an honorary degree was from Florida Memorial University. While at the UNCF Summit of Higher Education, I talked with their president, Dr. Jaffis Hardrick, about his plans for Florida Memorial, located in Miami. Here's our conversation. 
right, so let's talk about what's happening in Florida. Um, uh, beyond the heat. Uh, in, 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 ter in terms of uh, ter in terms of where where you are with the university now, um, everybody's been dealing with COVID, been dealing with shifting of uh, priorities, dealing with students on campus being away or whatever. Uh, did, did you experience a significant drop uh, of students uh, enrolling, and have you recovered, or were you stable? Most definitely. Hey, I, I, the pandemic was certainly um, uh, traumatic on everyone in, in this in this nation, and particularly our world. Uh, most definitely, and I think you know as well as I do. Anytime we experience uh, these type of situations, most most often uh, our students are some of the first to stop out, and uh, and we were negatively impacted by the pandemic. But at the same time, we were also a safe haven uh, for many of those students who could not go any place. Uh, we did experience a decline in enrollment. We dropped about 20%, lost about 20% of our students. We went from um, 1,100 down to uh, around 900 students. And uh, But nevertheless, I, I, I'm so proud to say that uh, because of all the transformation that we were able to make during that time period, we are now seeing a significant increase uh, in our enrollment at the university. We went from an institution that was uh, extremely manual when I came on board in July of 2018. Everything done manually, enrollment, you wow. name it, brother. Everything in 2018. So was that culture shock for you? Because you came from where? I came from Baylor and also from uh, Florida International University. Yeah, it was culture shock. Yeah. You probably like, yo, like all is manual? Yes, brother. It was literally manual. Uh, but I'm so proud to say that today um, we are now fully automated. Our students enroll, do everything on their mobile devices. The entire campus is wireless. Uh, renovations throughout the university, man. It is truly a beautiful campus. And so we got to get you back there. Uh, All right, look, I would look, love to have you I, back the, there, My man. first commencement was uh, ever was at Florida Memorial. Uh, Al Reynolds actually uh, made that possible. Wow. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, so it was my first commencement, commencement and first um, uh, and first uh, honorary degree. Uh, and so, uh, so absolutely. So I want to, I want to, I want to go back to this, to, to what you were just talking about, the manual piece, because uh, what I've said to many other HBCU presidents, and they've actually echoed it. COVID forced, if there was a silver lining, COVID forced HBCUs and other black institutions to have to accept uh, new technology. You know what, and, 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 and that's a shame, right? I think that's a shame that we have to experience a pandemic, the, a pandemic yes. right, to understand just how far off we are, right? I've been dealing with technology, uh, honestly, brother, ever since I've been in higher education when I started at Baylor uh, in, in 1995, right? And to be able to come in 2018, we are doing things manually. I mean, from the entire operations, was manual. Uh, and what little technology that we did have, it was so antiquated, it wasn't even working anymore. Wow. And, and so, so, um, and I've just been one of those kind of individuals that I, I know we should leverage technology to drive efficiency. Uh, we, it's a different day and time, a different type of student. 
these students want to be, yep. listen, man, they would go without food before they go without Wi-Fi, yeah. right? <laughs> what, what, what I say is, the, this is a generation that literally came out of the womb. That's right. Immeshed immediately in, in social media, in technology. That's right. My nephew, Chris, who's now uh, going, uh, beginning his um, uh, ninth grade year, uh, high, school, high school freshman, uh, I mean, he was three years old and was operating and finding his favorite cartoon in the Netflix app, knowing how to get there. He was three. Yes. And my granddaughter is the same thing, doing the same thing, man. And it's just, it's, it's amazing. So that's what it's, so that says to me and to our institutions, we have to be much more innovative. We have to stay in tune uh, and on top of the, 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 the technology um, that drives efficiency mm -hmm. uh, in every aspect of our operations. Uh, and when you have good technology, uh, it just it causes you to be more diverse in our delivery of education and so on and so forth. Uh, because it's, this is a time in, in this nation when just the traditional student is not in school. Right. right, that 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 population is is declining. So that means our institutions got to be thinking about how do we then go and tap into the non-traditional student? How do we be able to tap into that working professional who wants to come back to school? And and it's online, right? Leveraging online to be able to deliver uh, diverse modalities uh, and giving access to our historical black universities. Did you have to encounter faculty or staff? Who are resistant to? Oh my gosh! That uh, oh my that, that gosh, new brother. world, no doubt, man. I, and I remember when I when I um, arrived at the institution, the board invited me to come to be the president. Uh, I started talking about uh, doing online, and 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 got, we have to get out of this traditional way of doing things. And I talked about let's move to an online platform because I've been accustomed to this right. for years. Uh, and people literally like, oh no, we're not doing it we're not doing it but then when we or, or we can't do it or we don't have the resources or we don't have it, it's, it's all of the reasons why we can't do something absolutely versus what's possible absolutely absolutely but that that means that that's the kind of either you have to educate people about those opportunities uh, or you got to find people who are going to embrace those type of changes right and realize Life moves on, and nothing stays the same, man. Um, and so that means we got to always be inventing and reinventing ourselves as organizations, uh, because the generations, every generation is different, and we got to be able to compete with some of these other organizations who are tapping into uh, the people that I know we can reach, and, and even more that we should be reaching than what we're currently doing. And, uh, and so that just means you got to get the right people there with the right mindset and understand it's about making sure our students, our parents, our family members, they have the best, and we are making ourselves ac accessible to everybody. How, how are you, in terms of positioning Florida Memorial, um, what are the majors or the careers that you 
um, are marketing yourself to say, if you're a student, if you're looking for to go into this career, this is the place that you want to you want to come to. Right. Well, so for me, it's it's definitely around the STEM disciplines, um, whether it's engineering, whether it's nursing, um, and and those careers that I know that are in high demand. Right. And that's what we have to make sure we're doing in our institutions. Now, you don't want to kill someone's uh, spirit if they if they know that they have a calling to be a musician. Right. But if that's not your school, though, right, you should be going to the place where you can excel in. No, no doubt. And 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 for me, though, we even offer all of those liberal art type arts type mm -hmm. of uh, uh, degrees. But what I want our students to be able to do when you get out, I want you to be marketable, right? right? So we're trying to get them to understand, couple couple that with technology. Um, couple it with cybersecurity and something else, right? That's going to really make you uh, marketable and, and competitive uh, for those high-paying career opportunities. Absolutely. Well, I think I think that is uh, what is crucial, and uh, you know the, the the whole point for me is is we're again we're operating in a completely different world. I, I, I've spoken to numerous. Um, HBCU alumni conferences, and, and I've said, listen, your university when you went there ain't the same one now. And so you can't keep trying to put that level, those type of restrictions uh, of, of, of mobility on the president, uh, on the leadership, because again, you're stifling progress and you're going to die. You're going to fall behind. And you, you, brother, you're spot on. I have to say that, uh, and that's one of the things that we try to always say and, and and educate our alums as well. We can't be living and operating vicariously, right? You, you graduated 15, 20, 30 years ago. <laughs> it's a new day. This is 2022, and we got to think about the future. And that means that means you guys got to be thinking about and understanding how time changes. Mm -hmm. um, and 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 we got to make sure that we are on top of these things as well. It does put a lot of pressure on us as presidents when you have individuals like that who just. Well, I remember I had an experience in that old old dorm and and. Uh, that's where I fell in love and all those things, right? But they're antiquated. It's time for them to come down. It's time to do something different. It's right. time to build new facilities because many of our students, they're growing up in households, uh, in homes now, man, that are six, seven bedrooms and so on and so forth. They want the best amenities, and that's what we got to be able to, to, to do and bring to our students. And getting our alums going back, we got to get everybody understanding it's about collaboration. It's about working together to continue to elevate our institutions, man, All and right, stop then. competing against each other. That's it. That's it. Well, look, uh, I look forward to being back on the campus. Uh, I, I love Miami, uh, and so uh, I think y'all might want to create, you know, I was a scholar in residence at Fisk. Uh, last semester, so I think y'all might want to create something like that so I can spend a little more extra time in Miami. Uh, I love the idea, brother. I love the idea. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, you know, because I ain't got no problem, you know, te teaching a class and then going to play golf. So. Oh, yeah, hey, and, you, hey, and you know in Florida, we have some of the best golf courses, oh, I know, man. I know, trust me. We have some me. of the best, Trust man. me, I, I know. I'll be happy to get you I, 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 on some of those courses, too, hey, man. Hey, I love it. So congratulations and good luck with it, Frat. Thank you, brother. Appreciate All you. Right. Thanks a lot. Right. Hey, as they say, ask not, receive not, right, Jeff? Look, I'm just saying. I say make it happen.
Uh, yes, sir. Name it. Uh, also, some other HBCU news. Charles Barkley has donated a million dollars to Spelman. Uh, he was impressed uh, with the education that his um, his business partner uh, daughter was receiving. His name was, J his name was John Hudson. Uh, and so uh, he donated uh, a million bucks to Spelman. Again, his, uh, his business partner, daughter Jordan Hudson, is going to be a sophomore. Uh, it's going to be serve as, serving as uh, the class president. And so uh, Charles said, John's been a great mentor, a great friend, and a great business partner. I was ready to do another HBCU and with his daughter doing great things at Spelman. So I told him, why not there? Uh, that's uh, certainly um, good news there, uh, Julian. Uh, but one of the things that, that we're seeing, and then we talk about this all the time, you have the haves and the have-nots. You see uh, the spellers of the world that receive these type of donations, but there are so many other smaller HBCUs, whether it's Bennett, whether it's Rust, whether it's Tougaloo, and others uh, that also are trying to, uh, to grow uh, and prosper, uh, but they're simply not located in the major cities and don't get all the attention and the press. Well, I would encourage our superstars who are being so generous with their uh, resources to consider some of these colleges, to learn a little bit more about them or to have their philanthropic leaders learn a bit more about them, about who went to these colleges. What uh, did they do? Did they know at Bennett College, for example, that Dr. Martin Luther King in 1957 spoke that only the president there, Willoughby Player, uh, first woman president of uh, an HBCU, um, had Dr. King there? He would have gone to A&T. They wanted him to go to A&T, but A&T was a state school. And because it was a state school, uh, the legislature threatened the president, told him that they cut their funding if they had Dr. King. Then the white folks said they were going to protest, so our brothers who were veterans said they picked him up at the airport and brought him to the campus. That's the kind of history that often is hidden and I, that I wish that our celebrities would think about when they think about who they're contributing to. But right on to Charles Barkley for the contribution. Just think about another college next time. The thing uh, there, Jeff, you heard from the Florida Memorial president, uh, trying to get people to understand that uh, you cannot deal with today's student within through the prism of when, when you went to school 10, 20, 30 years ago. Yeah, you, you got to update yourself, man. That'd be like me uh, sitting here trying to cram uh, one of those eight track tapes I got uh, <laughs> in my attic into this MP3 player or, or try to get it playing the sound system. It's just not going to work. It might have some really good music on it, but you just can't translate it. And like you said, these kids are dealing with a new era. We've got to, as an HBCU alum, I can say that. I went to Tennessee State. Uh, my wife went to Fisk. So we got an HBCU family, and we agree wholeheartedly that we also have to step it up on our end, too. So we have to be great stewards of money. Uh, we have to be exceptional in the way we reach people. Uh, and we also have to be innovators. Why? Because HBCUs is where innovation came from in the last hundred years or so or more. So we have to be bold. HBCUs have to step out there. They have to name what they want. They have to claim what they want. They have to offer such an exceptional product that people will have no choice but to choose uh, to bring it on home. So I'm glad that you demonstrated what it takes and that's speaking what you want into existence, and, and you're going to be touring all of these HBCUs. I don't know if you have enough time to be artists in residence for all of them, <laughs> residents. but those are innovative things. Those, those are things that people didn't do at HBCUs even 30 years ago when I was in school. We didn't have scholars in residence. We didn't have people who were having practical life experiences come to the campus on a regular basis and say, I know what you read in the book, 
but this is how it operates in real life. So we're seeing a rebirth of that, and I'm glad that we are standing in a space where we're going to see HBCUs just spring back to life and continue to bring in money like this. Uh, Nola. You know, so I, I had the amazing pleasure of growing up um, on Xavier's campus in New Orleans. My dad worked there um, as an engineer, and, you know, Every single summer, you know, it was either Kim Star or Biostar, whatever sort of star program was going on when I was in elementary school. Um, I was at Xavier. And to the point of contributing to some of the lesser known celebrated HBCUs, although in a New Orleans context, you know, there is no other HBCU but Xavier. Um, I just want to say, you know, in terms of STEM, this is something that Xavier does really, really, really well. And also, it's where I got my research bug. Growing up on a college campus, it just kind of like opens your mind up to the world. And I owe everything, you know, as a black academic in political science and international relations, a space where you do not see a lot of people that look like me. It is because of growing up on a very proud black campus. And I wish that I could have gone to Xavier my dad is still, his heart is still healing over that. But, um, you know, it's it's a school that I know for a fact, you know, many of my friends to this day are successful because of growing up on that campus and um, attending the programs from elementary school, um, high school, through college to their master's and, you know, beyond. And they are thriving in the world today. So I am all about HBCU life in a different kind of way. I'm more of a cultural product of an HBCU, not necessarily the kind of practical product of an HBCU, but I'm, I'm, I'm here for it. And I think that um, to the naysayers that like to say that um, having black universities in this context and all these different things, you know, isn't that racist? Well, let's think about why those schools exist. If we want to go ahead and talk about why the Second Amendment should still exist as it is, let's talk about why HBCUs exist. And, and anybody saying it's racist, don't, they say nothing about the white schools. Hello. Mm. So I'm like, whatever. So once you start questioning why a lot of these schools are still predominantly white, then you come talking about HBCUs. Folks, uh, so I'm like, whatever. Y'all gotta go to a break, we come back. 80th birthday bash last night for the smooth debonair, the original shaft, Richard Roundtree. Our cameras were there and we'll take you uh, inside the party and show you what took place. You're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered right here on the Black Star Network. Pull up a chair, take your seat. The Black Tape with me, Dr. Greg Carr, here on the Black Star Network. Every week, we'll take a deeper dive into the world we're living in. Join the conversation only on the Black Star Network. Hi, I'm Israel Houghton with Israel and New Breed. What's up, what's up? I'm Dr. Ricky Dillard, the choir master. Hey, yo, peace, world. What's going on? It's the love king of R&B, Raheem Devon, and you're watching Roland Martin, Unfiltered. in Los Angeles for the 80th birthday celebration of actor Richard Roundtree. He has starred in so many different uh, movies and television shows. We know him, of course, uh, from Shaft, 
uh, Being Mary Jane, Rock. We could go on and on and on, the movies, the stage plays. He has done it all. And so last night, many of his friends and family uh, were there in Los Angeles uh, to celebrate him for his surprise birthday party that his children uh, just wanted to put on for him. Our cameras were there. We also live streamed the event. So uh, here's some of what took place last night. chance to work with the legend. Tell folks about what that was like. Oh my god. Incredible. Every day. That's the man. You already know that. You already know that, but that's the man. Every day, just hanging out with him, just soaking up everything that I could possibly do. He... Now, one, now, one thing people don't realize, Richard is low-key funny. Oh, he is now. Trust me. Thank you. How you doing? Oh, he definitely funny. He a comedian, for real. He, he'll just, but it's quick. It's quick. You gotta catch it. He's real quick with it. But um, yeah. So, so, so w w give me one moment on the set oh that folks that that really stands out for you working with him. Working with him. Uh, for me, I think it's just the prep work. Um, we were staying in the same hotel, so we'd come down. I'd come downstairs and I'd see him in the patio. I did, you know, smoking a cigar, drinking his gentleman jack, going over his lines, and I'd be like, and I'd just come in front of him and just sit down. And they'd be like, oh. I'm like, you want to run some lines? And then he'll just start spitting. I'm like, wait, ain't got to that scene yet. Ain't got to that scene yet. So you know, he, he already gone oh, through he it. He already gone. He already gone. He on it. I'm like, let me catch up, man. Let me catch up. He's still on it. How you doing? Good to see you, my man. Good to see you. Y'all, you know Glenn Turman. First of all, he first of all he walked through here, got his hat on. See him and Richard got. See you know they old school. They got the straw hat. Well, you know how that go. You know, of all people, you know how that go. We already had that conversation. Yo, I saw him sitting over there looking like Pete and repeat. <laughs> you ain't worth a quarter. I see you, baby. So, so Richard, here's the deal. I wasn't supposed to be here working. I was supposed to be here attending the party. Then Bill hits me up, said, "Hey, Richard wants this thing live stream. Yeah. A lot of his relatives couldn't make it, so I was like, oh, yeah. I, I was on the plane. Okay. I didn't bring my equipment. We had to call somebody. Hello. So I said, fine, Richard. For you, I work for free. Now y'all know I don't work for free. <laughs> That's love. You ain't lying. I don't work for free. That's above, above and beyond the call of duty. Precisely. But folks who don't know, y'all go way back. You do. We go way back, me and Richard." We go back to the, well, what, to the early 70s, you know, when we was doing films back in the day. But Richard is the only man I know that every time he walk into a room, his own theme song precedes him. Da -da -da, da -da -da, da -da -da. I mean, it's a little hard to compete with a man who got his own song. His own song, you know, I mean, you know, Cooley Eyes song ain't bad. But that's at the end of the show. Right, right, You know, right. he's at, at the, the beginning. At the <laughs> and the leather jacket. And the whole thing. And, and, he didn't get, the and he didn't get the one woman. No. There she is. There go the fine one he got. 
There she is. At the beginning of the movie, the middle of the movie, the end of the movie, That's and they were all different. She need to be in here. So what is it? So favorite, y'all known Richard, but just what's the with Richard. Oh, yeah. We, we took him to Cuba with us. Vacation. We vacationed in Cuba. And everybody else was coupled up. Right. Everybody Richard all didn't care. Richard was the only one who was single. Richard said, y'all going, I'm going. We waited for him to come back with stories. <laughs> I ain't gonna go no further than that. Well, look, it is all, it, great to be here. We're going to have a great night. Uh, and so I'm sure there are going to be a lot more stories being told. Uh, most of them likely not PG-13. <laughs> you got that right. How have you known Richard? 50 years. 50 years. We've been, we've been good friends for 50 years. Yeah. Your, uh, so tell us some your funniest, craziest, wildest Richard Roundtree story slash memory. Okay. I had this big crush on Richard once, okay? And so I thought, okay, we're all going going to go to this party and whatnot. All right. I'm going to catch his eye then. And he's so free to pain. And that was it. So wait a minute. Okay, so you were going to this party. No, I wasn't throwing it. We were all at a party. Y'all were all at a party. And, and, and Richard was there, and you were like, you were thinking about that Frankie Beverly sound, that, that look in your eye. And you were trying to connect. That's right. And so you at the party looking all cute and fine, and Frida Payne looking all cute and fine, and well. That was it. Frida went home with Richard. Well, I don't know about that. <laughs> no, I already talked to her. Oh, she, oh yeah, yeah. Right. Okay, okay. She okay. said, me and Richard. I said, we know what, what that mean? No, so we've been friends. As a matter of fact, Richard is responsible for me uh, becoming an actor. How so? Well, I, I had a terrible stutter. And so he convinced me to go to the, the Negro Ensemble Company. And, and I did. And I got uh, got in. And so then when I heard that, heard that Gordon Jr. was, was going to do a, a new movie, I ran into Richard, and Richard set up the appointment, the the audition, and the rest is history. Wow. That's awesome. Yes. And we got a chance to, like, play play husband and wife in a pilot series called Firehouse and different things, you know. But... Y'all go back 50 years. We are close friends. Well, it is great to be here to celebrate his 80th birthday. He looking good, looking clean. You're looking fabulous as well. Uh, Frida says she turns 80 in September. And I, I say, look, black don't crack. Well, let me tell you about how much I admire you, okay? Any issue that we have, you go to the heart of it, you know? And it's such a pleasure to, like, watch you. You don't care, you know? Nothing is nothing is political, you know, with, with, with your motivation. You know what? You really care about us. And so so you're my, one of my heroes. I well, I certainly appreciate it. I want you to know that. I appreciate it. I'm going to keep giving them hell. Hey, listen. I, and I'll keep praying for you. I appreciate it. I'll take them. I be Telma Hopkins, and I work with Richard on Family Reunion. I play Maybell. Now, you were telling me when y'all first met. Well, I didn't actually. I got, I got oh, okay. I didn't. Didn't actually get to meet him first. First, I flew to California to do a little album called Shaft with Gordon Parks. 
so I got to sing on that. And then when I did meet Richard, I told him to look at the cover, and if he saw a little girl with bucky teeth and a bad Diana Ross wig, that's me. So if you have it, you can blackmail me with it. <laughs> but I'm just so honored to be here to wish Richard a happy 80th birthday. I swear he told me he was 74. No. Line, line, line. <laughs> he 80, he 80. But he a fine 80, I gotta say it. Well, look, it's gl glad to see you here. It's been great folks celebrating him, and it's good hanging out, and it's good to see you. Well, he is an icon in this city, even for us who are in the same age category. Almost. Almost. <laughs> so good to meet you. Likewise, I appreciate it. I love your show. I appreciate it. Hi, y'all. I, I want to say thank you to everyone for showing up for this. Those of you that are near and those of you that came from far away, I appreciate you. I know my dad appreciates you. We all have been on this ride together. <laughs> my dad is famous for saying, um, I was just riding the horse in the direction it was going. He, he tends to negate the influence on the culture that he has had. Right. <laughs> he, his, his life has been of the more extraordinary than the average life, and we're here to celebrate that life this evening, and I, I so appreciate that you guys have all shown up for this. It means a lot. It means that he has had an impact on all of us together and the culture and um, I just want to say publicly here and now I love you dad <laughs> and, and can I give a little personal anecdote about I'll, I'll get a little teachery here because I am a teacher um, the magic years when you are uh, six and seven years old our years, that's how you can tell kids about uh, the Easter Bunny and Santa Claus and all of that stuff. Imagine, as a child, when I was six or seven years old, seeing my father on the big screen. When Shaft came out, that's how old I was. I was in the magic years of development, so it left a lasting impression on me. My dad, for me, will always be magical. <laughs> because of, of the impact and the age I was. I don't think my siblings have that same, because it was a convergence of that, my age and that event at the same time combined to make a, a quite an impression. Yeah, let me try that. Thank you. Uh, love you, Dad, and I'm done. Thank you for all showing up. <laughs> I'm going to hand the mic to this gentleman. I got the mic. Right, I'll, I'll, say, I'll say a couple of words. Um, you're absolutely right, one of the coolest brothers ever. Um, we had an opportunity, there was an Icon Man uh, event where we got to sit at the table together and fellowship for several hours. Uh, have always uh, loved him from afar. Then we had this great one-on-one -on -one interview. Uh, we talked about everything from family to his dad, having nothing to say about him getting the shaft, uh, growing up, his long history. 
Um, as, a, as a black man, I've always used my platforms to affirm brothers. This is no disrespect to sisters, but typically when you see brothers on the air, they're talking, they're praising their mothers. And very rarely do you see black men affirming other black men uh, through television. And so the reality is what Richard has done through all of his various roles, whether we're talking about uh, Shaft and then, of course, uh, other television shows and movies, he has always represented the finest of black manhood. And so when you saw him on the screen, uh, trust me, young men were watching him do his thing. Uh, and for those brothers who did not have brothers in their lives, that is important. Those movies and TV shows will be here forever. And so it's not just a question of what has, he, what has he accomplished in his life. The reality is, as long as this nation and this world is here, folks will always be able to see the work and the art of Richard Roundtree and what it means to be a strong black man. Man, great night. How do you feel? Roland. As I said earlier, reaching the age of 80, I had no concept of that to begin with. But I'm a very private person. And my oldest daughter, who has never asked me for anything, came out from Illinois. And I found out that the reason that she came out but she wanted to throw me a surprise birthday party. What? Now, normally the surprise birthday party, you don't know about it. Right. But she kind of needed you to tell who to invite. Exactly, exactly. So I don't know who you want to invite. I don't know what facility you would like to have it at. That's when I turn it over to Bill Hammond. And we've known each other for a long, long time. And I know he's the best black man in this town to throw an event. Well, look, I was honored when she, call, she called me, left me a voicemail, and she said, I want to invite you to my dad's birthday party. And I tell people all the time, uh, I, don't, I don't expect things. People don't have to invite me to anything. And so when she called me, I said, I will be there. So when I saw you in New Orleans and you asked me, I said, don't worry, I will be there. <laughs> I'm going back to New Orleans in the morning to finish the job. And man, I'm so happy to see you here. And the words you spoke. My brother, I appreciate it, my brother. You the man. We love you, Billy, baby. Happy birthday. Thank you, thank you. All right. All right, Roland. That's it, y'all. And here's the deal. Richard wanted this because a lot of his family members couldn't fly east. So when Bill called me, I was in the air. Bill said, Richard want to do this. He was like, how to do it? I'm like, I got this. Don't worry about it. So that's how they can see it. It'll be saved. We're going to restream it. And so folks can celebrate your lives. And Richard, I appreciate it, baby. Y'all, so we talked to other people. Ben Vereen uh, rather a little bit later, and I had a chance to catch up with Ben Vereen. He was an icon before icon was a word, okay? Richard and I did groups together. I'll never forget, I always tell a story. When he had to bow down and grovel, man said, you're going to ask Shaft Bravo, you out of your mind. And he turned to the producer and he said, you got one take. And he did it, and everybody said, okay, good night. <laughs> That's Richard. Richard is one of the, one of the, how can I say this? It's forerunners in our lives. Not only Shaft, 
a great man. I love you. I love you. Got it. Uh, folks, uh, y'all might know uh, this next person, Art Evans. He starred in A Soldier's Story, uh, an artist known Richard uh, for more than 50 years. Uh, and he and I got a chance to also chat uh, about his longtime friend, Richard Roundtree. We've known each other back in New York. One day I was in New York doing gymnastics and he was riding a bike. I stopped because I had saw him in this latest movie and he was fabulous as always. And we became friends. I was getting ready to do a movie. I let him look at the script. I did the music and the acting. And we've been friends ever since. What makes him so special so unique? Jeff Carr, uh, it is, um, it, it's always something when uh, we get to um, meet, um, honor, celebrate uh, our icons. Um, uh, I want, Dondre Whitfield and I were talking and, um, and we interviewed him as well. Y'all can see the interview in the live stream. We may try to pull it up. Well, one of the things we said is that, um, you know, anytime you're in the presence of cats like Richard Roundtree or Harry Belafonte, um, whether it was Diane Nash or Fred Gray, we can go on and on and on. Uh, you just want to soak up as many opportunities as possible uh, to hear from them, to hear uh, their reflections, what they went through, what they experienced. Uh, and I, and I, tell, I tell people this all the time. I, I tell young folks this all the time. Uh, never ever walk into a room where you have our greats and you don't make an effort to make your way to them because they're not always going to be with us. Uh, and uh, I'm, you know, when I go to National Association of Black Journalists in Las Vegas, um, when they'll be, they'll be honoring us uh, in August, uh, our Hall of Fame class of 2022, uh, I'm the youngest living member uh, ever uh, inducted in 2021. But when I was a student, uh, I would always seek out our founders and want to talk to them and listen to them and, 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 and get advice from them uh, and it's always amazing to me when I see uh, folks, uh, whether it's Reverend Jackson, whether it's uh, Bernard Lafayette, others, I'll see them places and I'll see folks just walk right past them not knowing uh, who is in their midst. Uh, and so I just tell folks all the time, I don't care what it is, you take the time uh, to be able to fellowship with them again because you want that moment because you, there's, there's no guarantee you ever get it again. You're absolutely right, man. It, it's so joyful to see 
uh, brothers who age gracefully and age well. Uh, and I want to encourage people around the world who are watching this program, everybody in your studio, all of the panelists, uh, to join me in the call and response recognition from the gospel according to Brother Isaac Hayes and say, that shaft is a bad mother. Shut your mouth. I'm talking about shaft. So when we talk about this, I don't know if Ernest Tideman knew when his uh, blockbuster novel came out in 1970, that in 1971, Gordon Parks was going to create this icon called Shaft. Uh, we have these memories around what we call in history the first black action hero of that era. We think about that music that Isaac Hayes put together, a four minute and 39 second piece of music that starts out with just those symbols that you heard. That's, that's, and then the bass comes in, then the keys join, then the horns come in and it builds. Two minutes and 56 seconds into it, you hear the lyrics. Two, not 30 seconds in, not eight bars. You hear two minutes and 56 seconds of the groove before you hear that voice coming in, depending on the mix. Who is the man who would risk his neck for his brother man? Shout. Can you dig it? And so you have this understanding of can you dig it? This is a space of self-pride. This is a, a culmination of a lot of work that told a lot of stories. And when we look at not just Shaft, who became an icon, but Richard Roundtree, uh, we got to go back to his beginnings. One of the reasons why people say, well, Shaft is so smooth. Richard Roundtree is so good. He looks so cool. He looks so good. He started out as a model. In 1963, he was modeling with the Ebony Fashion Fair. In fact, Some of your uh, old in, folks in can fact, remember his, that. Uh, in fact, uh, his modeling partner uh, was there last night, uh, and she actually spoke. Again, folks, if y'all want to see the actual full live stream, actually go to uh, the Blackstone Network app. You can actually see it. Absolutely. So he starts 1963, Ebony Fashion Fair, which ran for 64 years. Eunice Johnson, our, our fraternity brother's wife with Johnson & Johnson, this putting together images that went out there. He was modeling for that and Salem cigarettes and, and Duke hair grease. For those of you who remember Duke hair grease, he was a spokesperson for there. Then comes along 1967. This is prior to Shaft and the Negro Ensemble Company appears. Yep. Mm. You got Doug Turner Ward. You got Robert Hooks. You got people coming out of there like Esther Roll, Moses Gunn, Cheryl Lee Ralph, Lawrence Fishburne. It is a who's who of black excellence. So he becomes a part of that tradition. And when we look at this, we look at this 80 years old, still shining, 80 years old, still exuding strength and energy, 80 years old and being recognized by brothers and sisters around the world, including what you did, Roland, which is exceptional. I think we can all conclude together that not just Shaft, but Richard Roundtree is a bad mother. I'm talking about Richard Roundtree. Um, you know, you know, um, Nola, um, you know, there are a lot of folks, uh, again, I know some people, I was talking to was a sister last night. She's like, oh, my God, I've never seen Shaft. Uh, I said, uh, I said, I'm definitely snatching your black card. Uh, but uh, there, there were a lot of people who were introduced uh, to Richard Roundtree in the 90s with the show Rock uh, with Charles Dutton. Then you had the folk in the 2000s who were introduced uh, to Richard Roundtree uh, via the show that was on BET called Being Mary Jane. Uh, we saw BJ, who was in that uh, show. Uh, Richard Brooks is one of the actors. He played uh, Richard Roundtree's son 
uh, in being Mary Jane. And uh, here is um, the conversation that I had with him. Amazing. You know, I grew up watching Richard now and then have uh, the honor of being playing his son and being Mary Jane and getting to hang with him and just and just see how smooth he stayed forever and ever. You know, it's just been amazing. So I talked to BJ. Yeah. And BJ says, so he came downstairs to the hotel and he wanted to run lines. And Richard just started hitting me like, hey, man, I ain't got those pages yet. Right. And he said he was just so, just was always prepared. Oh, man, yeah. Richard is the professional, the professional, man. He's the baddest, yeah. No, we always got to have a great time working together. I mean, it's too bad uh, we don't get to do it more. You know, being Mary Jane was too much fun, but now Richard is the tightest, man, yeah. One so. of the things that I said, he asked me to speak, I talked about how he represented black manhood. Yeah, right. You know, being Mary Jane, I mean, so he Right, right, exactly. Yeah, well, being Mary Jane, yeah, Richard was the ultimate father. You know, um, watching out for being Mary Jane, obviously Mary Jane and all the boys, the Patterson brothers. And just, uh, you know, it was a rare opportunity to get to play a family like that, you know, to have everybody, mom, dad, brothers, sisters, and just tell that kind of human story. You know, I haven't done that since, like, maybe to sleep with anger. So it kind of was really great. So final words, what you want to tell him about his 80? Shoot, happy birthday. Man, you the man. Another 80, yo. You're just the baddest ever. Love you double. Happy birthday, Rich. All right. I think you're on mute, Nola. Huh? There you go. There you go. Go ahead. <laughs> you know what I love about this is, so first of all, thank you so much for giving a living legend his flowers while he is still here, you know, because that, that does not happen all the time. And then it also doesn't happen where you are doing a, a lengthy segment around celebrating his life and his achievement with family and friends. So that's just beautiful in and of itself. So thank you so much for doing that. Um, and then secondly, you know, um, you know, being from a city where <laughs> Frankie Beverly and Mays is still like the number one act, it doesn't matter how old they are, I definitely have appreciation um, for, for the legends. You know, before I knew about Shaft, I knew about the music. Um, I grew up in a very musical household, and so it was the soundtrack for me. And then, like, you know, getting older, once my parents allowed me to watch Shaft <laughs> um, and seeing the movies and then following in his career, you know, it's just been a really beautiful thing to see. And then I like you know, I like what you said about his representation of being a black father. Um, I am a product of a very strong black father and I'm always celebrating black fathers and being Mary Jane was definitely one of my favorite shows to watch. And I'm just, I'm just, that segment just gave me so much joy. Like I'm texting with my mom, like, mom, you'll never believe this just because honestly, you know, Southern culture, you know, I think does a really good job at celebrating, um, getting older, you know, and what that means. And I definitely, you know, think that that comes from the continent. You know, I spent some time there and I love how older people are celebrated, you know, in their communities versus just being tossed away, you know, after people do not find, find them useful anymore. So that was just a beautiful combination of legendary, of respect and talent and what he represented, um, you know, not just for like, swag and blackness but you know he he also was like a detective you know so there's like that kind of connection with like the cool and and interesting kind of um swag that the black detective always has to play you know so i think you know that's also part of his legacy so um that just brought me so much joy and i think that's a great way to uh in this amazing amazing um 
two plus hours just talking about all things black. So that just gave me so much joy. So Julian, thank you. Julian, it, uh, it was emotional on many levels. Um, uh, there were a couple of moments that I caught uh, that were interesting. And so there was a moment where uh, one of Richard's uh, sons came up to him. Uh, and if many of y'all who saw uh, my one-on-one -on -one with Richard uh, Roundtree for Rolling with Roland, uh, he talked about uh, issues that he's had with his children uh, over the years. And uh, in fact, uh, we're preparing, we're gonna, we're, gonna, we're gonna run that interview after, uh, after we end this show. So Keenan is preparing that, we'll end this, we'll end this, this stream and then we'll launch that one. Um, and so I'm sitting there shooting video and one of his sons walked up to him, I'm just gonna play it. Uh, and uh, go, go to the video please. So this is, so they, they were, they were, they, he walked up to him and they were, they were having this moment um, and, and, and they were talking and, and Richard just, he just began to tear up. Uh, and um, afterwards, he and I were talking and, and I asked him uh, what happened there and he said, uh, my son just came up to me and just said, Dad, I just need you to know that I absolutely love you. Uh, and you can see right here, you can see Richard just, uh, just absolutely uh, being brought to tears. In fact, I, I had to go get him. Uh, see, look at him. I had to, I had to go get him a tissue because uh, he was just, uh, just uh, broken up by that. Uh, and then there was another moment that happened a little bit earlier. Um, uh, Dondre Whitfield and Sally Richardson Whitfield, uh, they came in. Uh, and, and Dondre has his book dealing with the issue of manhood. He has a, actually has a manhood uh, initiative. Uh, and, uh, and so when they came in, the program had already been over, and so they came in and they were, you can play the video, they were uh, coming up to him and so he was hugging them. And so, um, so, so that was a moment there, y'all can pull the audio up just a little bit, just a little bit. And that was a moment there, um, I got the audio, go ahead, uh, where they were just talking and um, I kept rolling. And uh, what happened that was very interesting, um, uh, Richard was telling him how, how proud of he was about his manhood initiative. Uh, and Dondre turns to Sally and he goes, he said, man, I wish, y'all come back. He goes, I wish I had that on video. And he turns around and I said, Dondre, turn your, I said, turn your iPhone on so I can edge up this to you. He's like, what, you got it? Now, y'all need to understand, uh, I play in the golf tournaments of George Lopez, Cynthia Entertainer, Jeffrey Osborne, and I see Dondre, and, and they're always joking with me, Julian, by me always having my cameras. They always are like, <laughs> Roland, you always got cameras. Every time we turn around, uh, in fact, we were in Essence, Chris Spencer was hooking up, me meeting Kevin Hart, he's like, man, don't bring them damn cameras. So they're always talking about the cameras. But they always end up saying, say, man, can you uh, give me a copy of that video? And I keep telling them, I say, see, that's what happens when you always have the camera rolling, you capture moments. Uh, and the thing that was interesting watching last night, watching how so many, now you had the sisters who kept talking about how fine and smooth Richard was, but you had, all, you had so many brothers who were talking about what, again, what Richard represented in terms of black masculinity uh, on the screen. Uh, and, and there were just so many of those emotional moments and, and, and Richard literally was just blown away uh, by all the love and affection that was in that room last night. I was blown away watching it. You know, that was just amazing. 
first of all, I, I had the biggest crush back in the day on Richard Roundtree at that black leather coat. Uh, I think that was freshman year, and I think we must have seen that movie three or four times um, because we, the bunch of sisters, we just really love. We let's go back and see Shaft. I'm like, don't you want to see anything else? Nope. Let's go back and see Shaft. But it would, you know, he is a bad mammer. You know what? And um, the movie was a bad mammer, and as a Jeff, as a, either a frustrated musician or something, but laying out the the two minutes of. Uh, all the sound effects and everything else. That was nice, my brother. I really enjoyed that. Um, but I, and you, you, you got to remember the whole thing. And then, of course, Isaac Hayes. But what more than just, you know, Roland, you said something that's so important. Uh, you know that uh, Reverend Jackson just had his um, Rainbow Push convention about, about three weeks ago. Mm -hmm. And um, it was very interesting to, as you say, some people glom toward him, want to spend a minute with him, just want to touch his hand. And then you have a lot of other younger people, they don't know who Reverend Jesse Jackson is. They don't know how he's made a difference in their lives. And so one of the things you said is when you're around these elders, I don't care who you are, how yep. hired, how you are, take a minute just to speak to them because it means something to them. I cherish the times that I had with Dr. Dorothy Irene Height. Um, now, we fussed a lot, but I cherish the times, and sometimes she tell you these little anecdotes that you wouldn't hear unless you've taken the time. And so, I mean, Sister Nola is right. On the continent, our age is revered. Here, we're, we're throwaway. Um, you know, but it, but beyond that, I mean, I'm almost speechless thinking about that, thinking about, you know, Roland, how very blessed you are uh, to have been there, but also to move in these circles and to see these black people who are doing so well and making us all so proud. And yeah, those brothers are all fine. I mean, I may <laughs> be a little old, but I ain't too old to appreciate, you know, fineness. I, I really am not. It, um, so, it, so folks, it, the story was true. Literally, um, look, normally I always got my gear with me. I completely scaled down. I had I'm just, I had just had my iPhone 13 Pro Max. I didn't bring any of my other stuff. Uh, because literally I flew in Saturday, the party was Sunday, uh, it was 6 to midnight, I was on an 8.18 a.m. flight to fly back here to host the show. Landed here at 4.14 uh, and drove straight in. And so I'm in the air Saturday and Bill Hammond with Hammond Entertainment, uh, he, was, he put the whole thing together. Uh, so Bill, uh, I get a text message, I'm in the air, hey Roland, you know, Richard really wants this thing live stream, and he said, look, this is what you do. I was like, well, damn, Bill, why didn't you, like, text me last night? I would have brought my live view unit with me, and we just could have got a camera crew. So I hit up Henry. I was like, hey, man, we got to find somebody uh, who has a live view. We can live stream this whole deal. And luckily, we found somebody. We got it going. Uh, and I hit Bill back. I said, Bill, we got it. Don't worry about it. Uh, and I told Richard, I said, only you, Richard, could I be invited to your birthday party and work for free? I said, only you. Uh, and so we hooked it up, and I said, we're going to get the interviews because there were a number of his family members who could not fly back from the East Coast uh, due to COVID. Uh, and so by live streaming it, it was able to do so. And, and, and folks who are watching, if y'all want to understand why I created Roland Martin Unfiltered and why I created Black Star Network, it is for moments like this here. N Nola said it when she talked about this amount of time. Um, Y'all know how I feel. I was not interested in asking some white producer at a network, and let's just be clear, very few black people, hey, can we give some time to celebrate Richard Roundtree? Y'all remember when Cicely Tyson died? 
She barely got any mention on the networks, and she was 96 years old, the great Cicely Tyson. We did a more than two-hour tribute to Cicely Tyson. And that, th this is precisely it. Being able to own a show and own a network where, yeah, we can live stream it and I don't have to ask anybody, that's why we created this. Uh, the, ability, the ability to have these stories and be able to have this and share these stories and all of the people uh, who were there last night. Uh, the great Jim Brown was there. Uh, I told you, one of the early Ebony Fashion Fair models, my man Arnold right there, who does all the celebrity events. Uh, again, uh, Sheila Frazier, Frida Payne, the great Frida Payne uh, was, was in the room as well. Billy Davis Jr. and Marilyn McCoo, uh, you saw them earlier. All of these type of people were there, and y'all, this that's that's right there, uh, Jeff. That's one of the um, uh, the models. You have to pull the audio up. She she talked about it. She was one of the Ebony Fashion Fair models uh, with uh, with Richard Roundtree, uh, and so uh, Beverly Todd. Uh, we showed her earlier, and so y'all, this is why black-owned media matters. When you watch this show. You're watching the visual representation of Ebony and Jet. You're watching when Ebony came out every single month and Jet came out every single week covering these different events. It was stuff that was in Jet and Ebony you were not seeing in time. You were not seeing in Life magazine. You were not seeing in Newsweek. And then, of course, when People magazine came along, you were not seeing that. And so I, I love my haters when they love, start talking trash and, oh, you don't care about black people. And I go, well, what you doing? What voices are you offering? Uh, this was Nola's first opportunity on the show. Reese Colbert hit us up and said, man, I got a great, got a, somebody, Roland, I know you like having new panelists. I got somebody. Y'all, this is why this was created because here's the deal. And I'm telling y'all right now, I'm telling y'all right now what's going to happen. Nola said her expertise is in national security. I'm telling y'all right now, in two or three months, don't be shocked if all of a sudden you see Nola or pop up on MSNBC or CNN. Because they watch. Indeed. No, 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 no. But, they gonna, but regularly, they're going to talk about, trust me, they're yes. going to be hitting you on like, see, see we talk about contracts, uh, Nola. She sees a whole, see, follow me here, Nola. There's a whole bunch of folk that come through who they like, oh, damn, we need to put them on a more regular basis. Ebony Hilton was on here a lot, and then all of a sudden, NBC signed her to a contributor deal to, after all the stuff with COVID. So the point I'm making there, you have, you, by creating platforms for people to be able to speak and talk and share their expertise, that's the whole point of this, and be able to tell these stories. And so that's why when I am trying to get our people to understand why we have to support our own, or we must download the app, or we must also give, because, y'all, this is about us. And I rule the day when we have to ask somebody else to tell our story. We should never be in the position where we're begging someone, can y'all please give, do 30 seconds on Richard Roundtree? Can y'all please give Cicely Tyson a minute of coverage? No. I'd rather say we're going to do 15, 20, 30, 45 minutes. And again, because I already did a one-hour interview with him, we, I can, literally, I made the call while we were talking. Uh, hey, Keenan, pull the interview up. We're going to stream the interview with him, that one-hour interview, right after the show. And so, uh, so, Richard, congratulations. 
80th birthday. Uh, thank you so very much for inviting me. Glad uh, we could hook this thing up, have our cameras there, and showcase all of the folks. Uh, let, me th let me thank Nola. Let me thank Jeff. Let me thank uh, Julian for being a pound today. Uh, we went a little long today, uh, but uh, we were supposed to do how also some of our Essence Fest stuff. I'm going to have that tomorrow in the second hour of the show. We got some fantastic stuff uh, to show you there as well. Uh, again, this is why we do what we do, because we keep it black, keep it real. And again, I ain't got to ask nobody because I own this shit. So please support us, y'all. Uh, download the app, Black Star Network app, Apple phone, Android phone, Apple TV, Android TV, Roku, Amazon Fire TV, Xbox One, Samsung Smart TV, and support us in what we do uh, by contributing to our Bring the Funk fan club. Our goal is very simple. We want 20,000 of our fans to contribute, on average, 50 bucks a year, that's $4.19 a month, 13 cents a day, uh, to our Bring the Funk fan club. Every dollar you give goes into the show. It pays for staff, for equipment, for travel, for all of those things. Uh, I put the call out, y'all, on social media, uh, because, you know, of course, our uh, Sprint of the Roadmobile was completely destroyed. Like, completely destroyed. It was totaled uh, in the accident uh, that was in, um, that we had uh, in Alabama coming back from Essence. Uh, and when I put the word out uh, to our fan base uh, as to what happened, uh, y'all have already responded because uh, I said, look, you know, our insurance, we can only get up to $125,000 worth of insurance uh, on uh, the road mobile. Uh, and so what has happened is uh, already since we put that up, our fan base uh, has contributed, uh, has contributed uh, $25,000 already uh, to our uh, repurchase. We're actually designing as we speak uh, the new vehicle. Uh, we hope to have it by the middle or late September. Uh, this was uh, almost a week ago. Uh, all of that equipment, we had a lot of our equipment that was damaged. Uh, again, that uh, completely totaled. Uh, and again, y'all have been responded uh, in a huge way. This allows for us, again, to be able to travel. We've got major events happening coming up in Alabama, in Georgia, in New York, in New Jersey, all across the country. Uh, and so uh, we hope to be uh, back up and running uh, on the road uh, with uh, our new vehicle uh, by mid or late September. And so I appreciate uh, what y'all have been doing because again, uh, what we are all about is telling our story uh, and not, sit, not having to ask anybody's permission to do so. Again, so send your checks and money orders to P.O. Box 57196, Washington, D.C., 20037-0196. The cash app is dollar sign RM Unfiltered. PayPal is R Martin Unfiltered. Venmo is RM Unfiltered. Zelle is Roland at RolandSMartin.com, Roland at RolandMartinUnfiltered.com. And we ask that you give to us directly, because even if you contribute to us on YouTube, remember, we, don't, we only get 55 cents on every dollar you give, they keep 45. So if you give to us directly, we get the full 100%. Folks, that is it. I appreciate it. I will see y'all tomorrow. And yes, uh, I'm rocking the um, the Rock Deep uh, their, uh, shoes here. You know, you had some haters who were trying to talk trash because I was rocking them yesterday uh, in LA. And uh, talking about my outfit, I was wearing black on clothing from King McNeil Collection. Then I was rocking these shoes from Rock Deep Global. We support black-owned businesses. And so whenever your haters are trying to diss you, they also dissing black-owned companies while they at it. That's why you should not follow your ignorant haters. But we gonna keep doing what we do. I'm gonna see y'all tomorrow. Holla!